Hello and welcome to another episode of No Particular Podcast. Um, so I feel like things are going pretty good so far. Things are live on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, the Google Play app, and um, TuneIn, which I don't, I've never met anyone that uses TuneIn. I guess it's something that people use, at least that's what Google told me, um, uh, but that one should be uh kind of getting improved soon I guess they're having issues right now with some part of the podcast approval process but anyways that's in the works that should be good to go soon um but anyhow yeah you can listen to them on all the other platforms from now and I hope you guys are enjoying them so far they've been pretty fun to work on and I feel like I'm getting a little bit better at editing stuff and uh, trying to gain a better better understanding to make it like a, a nice flow of the episode. There's a little bit more to it than I thought there would be, and it definitely makes you build an appreciation for like listening to a nice podcast, someone that really took the time to make everything kind of flow nice and smoothly, sound great. Uh, if if sound levels seem like they're off, I'm sorry. I'm trying to figure that out and hone it in. A lot of it, I'm just kind of trying to do by ear for now until I hone in on that. But anyhow, uh, I'm doing the best I can, learning while I while I go. But so, uh, yeah, I hope to keep everything going weekly. I want to have a weekly episode that I for sure get uploaded and make a habit of that. Um, but it can be kind of hard sometimes with all the different variables in life with friends and family and uh, school and work and this and that and yada 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 anyhow but uh so anyhow I'm just I'm doing the best I can and I don't want to disappoint so if there's anything that I can do to make things better like I said let me know because I want to I want to just hone in on my skills make it the best for you make it the most enjoyable for you and I feel like I've been saying that every single episode but I really want to drive that point home don't be afraid to let me know if I'm falling short in a certain part of the podcast and, and making it, creating it, editing it. Let me know if there's something you notice that I can work on. Anyhow, um, so this episode is with my friend Chris Friesen, who is a musician that uh, has been working on music his whole life. His father was a music teacher, and he's been working on um, all kinds of instruments um, throughout his life and becoming um, a better musician, more knowledgeable. He's gone to school to study it, and he's been fully immersed in it for so long. He's got a lot of other stuff that he has going on. Like a, you know, he's a regular job. That's how I met him. We both worked at this private golf course, doing the kind of grounds crew stuff, and that's how I got to know him years ago. And we've been we've stayed friends ever since. I've seen the things that he's the challenges he's been faced with, and it's interesting. It's a cool lifestyle. It seems like it's a little bit stressful at times, but it seems very rewarding at times as well. And if you're an aspiring musician, somebody that uh, makes time to try and go to gigs and such like that, uh, you'll probably really enjoy this episode and hear his point of view on what it's been like going through that ride. So. And also, um, you can keep in mind, uh, as you listen to the intro and the outro music, that uh, Chris is actually the one that helped me 
Well, actually, I didn't do a whole lot of that. I gave him ideas of what I wanted to sound like and kind of give a vibe like. But he was the one that made all the sounds and changed everything, made it sound good. So uh, he did it all himself, and I was blown away, and I appreciate him doing it for me. Um, and I hope you guys, I hope you guys like the intro and the outro music because I love it, and uh, I'm happy that Chris is able to help me out with that. But anyhow, I hope you guys enjoy the episode, with Chris. Chris, pretty good. It's been good, Kyle. Yeah, pretty good. Grateful um, to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here, dude. So I just kind of wanted to talk about uh, your experience with like getting into music and everything because it seems like it's just been like a lifelong thing that you, it's always been involved in your life, but yeah. nothing that you've ever taken like crazy. Like it's never been like a frustration for you. Like I mean, I'm sure there's been challenges, but I've ne- I've just never seen you be like so upset with yourself over like you know how certain things come out and I, I've just been actually like I don't think I've ever told you but I've like kind of found you as an inspiration because of like how you go for things but you like you know with all your different endeavors with other bands it's never like you'll invest everything into one person and if it doesn't go well I've never seen you like buckle under pressure it's kind of cool to see someone just be like you know things happen you know so I just kind of want to start back with like what what kind of start like what was your childhood like you know what made you get into music and i so music was always around in my house my dad is a music educator he uses music within the church so it it was it was frequent you know i mean my dad would go to school and teach and then he would come home and have private piano lessons in the house so there was always an acoustic piano in the house um so I can remember pretty early there was like a there I, I started realizing that I could like organize notes together and start like putting a song together to the sense that I could get back to the piano and play the same set of notes and then like add something to it like and, and that was pretty pretty young I, I want to say like maybe four or five somewhere right around in there and then soon after that my dad started trying to show me things on the piano and um, as I aged, you know, there was kind of that rub in between the father and son. And so oh. like he ended up having one of his students teach me for a while. Um, and so I studied with this woman for a bit. And then I kind of like I, it was interesting because I kind of I, I wasn't very interested in the music that I was learning. A lot of times when you're studying piano as a kid, they give you a curriculum that has just a bunch of music that is basically trying to teach you fundamental ideas on the instrument, but it's not necessarily like engaging the students ears or like getting them excited about what they're playing. Yeah. And so I, I drifted from it, you know, and, and then I, I was also in choir cause my dad was a choir director, you know, that was his way of educating, um, in the public school district. And so like I, I started singing when I was in first grade and, I mean, I I sang in choirs all the way through maybe four years of college. Hmm. Um, So, yeah, it did start really early, man. Um, 
I was I experimented with band a little bit in middle school. Uh, there was I, there was one year where I played saxophone, and that was kind of interesting just because I I kind of had a rub with authority, yeah. you know, like uh, I didn't my band teacher and I didn't quite see eye to eye. I felt like he was insisting that like I record my practice, like log how much I'm practicing um, and and way more than I was interested in putting in. And so like I did, I, I failed band, which oh, is okay. kind of hilarious. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's pretty funny <laughs> considering, yeah. Um, so, what, yeah. What instrument were you playing in band though? Yeah, alto saxophone. Oh, okay. Do yeah. You, do you still ever try to dabble in that? Or? No, I don't own one, and I don't really enjoy the sound of it that much. It's oh, not okay. an instrument that I really like the sound of. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they were a little cheaper, I might find myself interested in the tenor saxophone a little bit, but mm, not really. I've got my hands full in yeah, places. Yeah, I, I didn't realize how much that those can cost, like saxophones and like you know trumpets and trombones. But oh yeah, kind of saw the like I was walking around and like. Um, in a guitar center, and I like saw some of those different. I was like, "Whoa, those get pricey!" Like Fast. losing, yeah, losing that would be like, "Whoa." Yeah, yeah. I mean, they yeah they run into thousands of dollars very easily. That's yeah. why it's so common to rent them. I mean, especially in the middle, you know, the middle school and high school ages where kids are like experimenting and trying to figure out whether they really enjoy this or not. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah, band didn't last very well. So I kept rocking through choir and then high school came around. Yeah. So it was right around high school. My dad there again, as a choir director, he had a vocal jazz ensemble, which means that there was like a drum set and a bass and a piano involved in accompanying the vocal group. Um, and so he, his bass player had just graduated and so he needed a bass player. So he brought home the school bass um from the high school which is this crazy um it's a gibson it's an sg bass which mm. is kind of if you can kind of sing see angus young of acdc's like his guitar and then turn it into a bass guitar that's yeah. basically what it was okay um brought it home and i played that for the summer before before my freshman year in high school and found myself pretty interested in it um Soon after I started investing, like I, I bought one mm -hmm. of my own. Um, and so, yeah, I was just playing in the vocal jazz ensemble for a couple of years. And in, in that maybe the second year or so, there was a drummer. Um, his name was Aaron Troxel. He was a year younger than I. And, uh, you know, we would we found ourselves kind of hanging out after vocal jazz group to just kind of improvise and like mm -hmm. make music up on our own. And soon enough, we kind of found ourselves writing music, um, kind of composing our own tunes. Then we had a friend of ours that played guitar, Gabe Hillhouse, and so three of us had a group. Then sure enough, Aaron's little brother started playing some lead. Um, so yeah, we had a little quartet, wow. um, by, I don't know, maybe my sophomore year. Um, and you know, so there were a couple of years that went by where I basically lived at Aaron's house, you know, during the summer we would, I mean, we would just spend our time playing music. So it, a lot of it was us trying to teach each other 
you know it's especially as a rhythm section you know uh, bass players and drummers kind of have to like be inside of each other's head in order to make it work so there was a lot of time you know it took a lot of time being shared together in order to get to the point where that was feeling really solid and that was the first time either of us had really experienced that relationship um so yeah fast forward senior year uh there was a battle of the bands hosted in portland Oh, okay. Um, at the Roseland Theater. What what time? Like what year is this? Two thousand four. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think is where it was at. Um, it was either junior or senior year. I think it was two thousand four. Um, so I'd been playing for like three years at that point. Um, we had a book of tunes that we were pretty excited about, and so we decided to to enter into this, um, this battle of the bands it was interesting because like we they had like a meeting once you got approved basically i think you had to like send in a demo Um, and then like they had all these bands meet up in one building and they kind of went through the ground rules for the competition we had to sell our own tickets which was um a pain you don't you don't see that very often yeah um so we had to sell our own tickets, and then, um, yeah, and, th- and then there were, like, three tiers, you know, first, second, and third place, and you could either exchange your your reward for, for studio time or for cold cash. Mm. Um, and so we ended up selling all of our tickets and asking for more and sold more of them. It was wow. cool. We had, like, a bunch of people in our school that were super supportive. There were people making, like, custom band t-shirts and banners. And stuff. Wow, that's pretty cool. It was really special, man. Yeah. It was really neat. Um, so we go and we do this battle of the bands, and it's cool. I mean, the Roseland's still, like, a great room. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of a trip to be, like, in a room that large – that professional right out of the gate you know Mm -hmm. that was the first like gig um yeah so we're the only instrumental band we didn't have a vocalist so we played all our stuff and we're waiting around waiting around trying to see everything that happens you know because it was a it was a day-long thing um and it gets to the end you know and they're like and they're getting to the point where they're announcing the three. And so they announced third place, not us, second place, not us. And at that point, we kind of like wrote it off. It's like, okay, well, and sure enough, like we're walking out of the balcony and like we're called alchemy first place. And we're like, what? You know, it was just like this rush of emotion and surprise, like stellar sensation. And then we end up getting paid like $300 a man to play for 25 minutes. And so it was like, wow, like in high school, making $300 in half an hour while having the best time of my life. Yeah. It was like, okay, I'm hooked. So like, yeah. this is what I want to do. You know, yeah. I didn't realize, I probably didn't realize the intensity of what I was addicted to at that point. But uh, yeah, that was kind of like the start of me taking it seriously was, was that night. Because so up until then, all that practicing time, like over the summer, would you say that you guys were kind of like, yeah, like, let's just get really good at doing this for fun. Like, was that kind of or were you hoping like, oh, I hope I could make a career out of this, maybe? I think like there was as soon as we started having like a book of tunes that were ours, 
Yeah. I was pretty I was pretty interested in the idea of like spending all of my time doing it. Mm. But I don't think it was justified until like I got on stage, realized that people were enjoying it, you know, because that's that's an experience. Just like being on stage and like uh, engaging with an audience is really rewarding. Yeah. So like to have that and then get paid a ridiculous amount of money at the time, you know, like. Even even now, three hundred dollars for a half an hour of work is, you know, that's good money. Cool, yeah, yeah. It's and so, like those two, like at that point, I was like, I want to make this work. Yeah. Like, okay, I was already having fun, but now I just I want to make this work. It's got to work. Yeah. So that did were um did you like change any kind of like academic plans you may have had at the time? Like, were you thinking, oh, I'm gonna go to college for this, but I'm just gonna work on, like you know school what you know whatever but like were you just did it change your route no not at all i don't think i really had a route you know it's just like i wasn't i was good at math i was good enough at math that i was bored with it Mm. like i had i had one of my teachers trying to convince me to go into programming and it was just like i wasn't interested in that you know and like science was fairly easy for me but like i didn't there again i wasn't really interested or couldn't see like a job that i was wanting to pursue within that field yeah and so i mean the other stuff like social studies and language were were pretty challenging for me and so there wasn't a way that i was gonna go into journalism or anything like that you know so I, i guess i really didn't have a route other than music um but yeah it did like at that point what it did do is it gave me a route, you know, like going from no route to, okay, now I want to do this and I need to figure out how I'm going to pursue it, how I'm going to push it to the next level. Yeah. So I started looking at college, you know, um, CCC is right here. Mm-hmm. They, so CCC does this thing where they take their vocal jazz ensemble and they kind of do a mini tour and they visit all the high schools, not all the high schools, but a number of them and kind of are able to feel out the talent that is in the graduating class. Um, And so at some point, uh, Lonnie Klein, who was the director of the vocal jazz ensemble at CCC approached me and was like, are you interested? Would you be interested in going to college for music? And at that, so yeah, I was super excited about that. And so we started, you know, I, I auditioned and then we started talking about what the logistics would be financially. And I mean, they basically paid a full ride for me to go there like I had to pay credit fees basically. Oh, that's not bad though. No, yeah, basically I got to pay credit fees the entire time I was there for as long as I wanted. And so I went to Clackamas for I think it was 8 years altogether, pretty much all paid for. Wow. Um just to play and sing in their ensembles. Mm-hmm. Um so at that point like there again, like it established the route for me. It kind of made its way in front of me. Wow. And so the eight years you were there, were you just taking all kinds of other like music courses and such or? Yeah, that was what was really neat about that place is, I mean, I was, I was really, I was really dedicated to the vocal jazz group and the the classical chamber choir, uh, just because that's how I was fulfilling my ride, mm-hmm. you know, but outside of that, um, I basically took all of the all of the theory courses that were available on like composition, classical, like a lot of that stuff focuses on the Baroque era. You know, you hear about like J.S. Bach, J.S. Bach, 
and like that whole era of classical music kind of like establishes like the skeleton on how music works we use these chords because they make people feel like in intense and then afterwards we play this type of chord because it's really mellow and so you get this tension release kind of thing and so like they take you through all of that for like writing for choirs and whatnot and, and yeah. so like i took that i played in some vocal jazz ensembles i took a lot of lessons i studied percussion um i studied some drum set and then there was a like a afro-cuban brazilian percussion chorus so i took that there were some electronic music courses like music production um they had like film folly and scoring like hmm. So I did some video production. I took a lot of health classes while I was there. That was kind of the other thing that I was interested in. Still am interested in, but that's like later on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I basically took all the courses that they had available. Okay. Um, and and just like tried to, to develop my craft and build a network. That was the other thing is like a lot of the people that I met at CCC, CCC I still interact with. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's maybe the most valuable thing that I got from college was the network of Didn't people. Have, yeah. um, the I mean, I, I developed a lot of skill and understanding while I was there, but more so just like the, the network of people all being condensed into a passion. You know, it's like everybody that I was surrounded with was either involved in the theater or the music scene yeah you know it's like they had an entire building developed for the arts and so i just spent all of my time there um mm -hmm. that and then there was a private music academy that i went to in portland for a couple of years and towards the end of my career at ccc mm -hmm. okay and what did you what did were you uh learning and focusing on there that you couldn't at ccc um Real life experience, oh. I think, is more what that was pushing towards in the sense that what that program was, was basically you you audition and then the instructor, Alan Jones, would place you into an ensemble of peers that are about the same level you are. Mm -hmm. um, and then basically, in order to graduate the program, he, he would have you release a record. So you had to go from like composing tunes, rehearsing um booking studio time recording the album doing all the artwork publishing copywriting and then like shows wow you know so like that was basically the program so it was like an intro into music business and and just like how how, how to work with people you know bands are like marriages they're really intense relationships because you kind of have to be able to predict each other. Yeah. Right? And then you have to deal with each other, you know, because, like, this thing doesn't work unless we're all working together. Yeah. And as soon as, like, there's bad vibes amongst the band, it usually doesn't last much longer. Yeah, it seems like, like, even with the real famous bands, like, if they fall, like, they fall hard and they fall apart, you know? Just like, all right, we're getting as far away from each other as possible, you know? Totally. Did it kind of help you to build an appreciation for, you know, famous groups? Like... I, like one of the ones that kind of blows me away is the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, I didn't realize how long they've been together and yeah. how long they've all worked together. Totally, it's just pretty crazy to like be able to be with like you know a handful of other guys for so long, all the time, traveling all over the place, working on things, having to go through deals together and stuff. It just seems like it'd be kind of crazy, kind of stressful, but 
it it's, is. It's cool. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's really cool because, like, you're developing a bond with individuals, right? And so now you have these, like, best friends that you're hanging out with. But on the other hand, you're dealing with, like, not a lot of money, you know, because the industry is kind of flopping, you know. There mm-hmm. isn't a whole lot of money in the industry. Yeah. And so, like, now you're, you've got these, like, ambitious goals that require monetary support and you're, like, working your butt off in order to get the monetary support, you know, and, and then, like, not only that, you're trying to, like, save a portion of it so yeah. that you can do the next thing mm-hmm. with it. So, yeah, you're, you're dealing with money problems and then, like, whatever, you know, all of all of their relationships are, you know, it's like I, in most of my bands, I have a pretty clear understanding of where all their romantic relationships lie. Yeah. You know, so I'm dealing with their partners, which is, you know, a, it's a double edged sword. I love most of I love all of them. You know, and some of them are a little bit trickier to navigate than others. Yeah. You know, so it's like money issues, then romance. And then on top of that, like whatever touring stress, traveling isn't easy, you know, and like a lot of times there isn't a whole lot of sleep and the food isn't very good, you know. And so you're like mal, like slightly malnourished and like sleep deprived and trying to like open up your heart and be vulnerable on stage with the music you know and so all those things lead to some pretty intense chemistry yeah it can be challenging man Mm -hmm. so um when did you kind of start getting into like groups like playing playing with groups i mean would you say that uh that would you you guys recall it alchemy yeah that was the name of the group were you guys together a while after that yeah I, i mean we played for it's interesting um we played for maybe three years altogether. Oh, okay. Once I started going to college, there were some like interpersonal relationship issues that happened. Um, it's funny because one of our our guitars started playing with uh, su- different substances. Um, oh, okay. And so we kind of like Aaron and I were pretty clean at that point, like, and so we were like, wait. Mm, like so, trying to gain inspiration for or just for fun? No, I think it was just the party scene. Oh, okay. You know, it yeah. was just like he was partying. And so like we, we went to go play a gig once and he was like inebriated to the point that we were worried about him. Oh, okay. um, and so it was just like that was a really kind of scary moment because mm-hmm. um, we didn't, you know, we didn't know what was happening or what was typical at that point. We were even there for him like consuming it. And so, like, to just show up with the gear and be set up and then, like, find our guitarist, like, sick. Jeez. You know, so, like, at that point, it's interesting just because we we kind of, like, went through this reassessment of the group. And then it kind of flip-flopped. You know, the guitarist that consumed substances went clean. And then Aaron and I started dabbling in substances. So, like, there was this whole, like, we were out of phase with each other. And, like, right around there is when it pretty much dissolved. Oh, okay. Um, just because I think our, our priorities, like, our, our, yeah, like, our spiritual priorities were shifting. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, it didn't, it didn't last long, but, uh, that, that, so right around there, you know, I was in college and so I was focusing really hard on that. Um, man, just Craigslisting and like playing in groups that way and playing in groups with musicians around the school. I mean, I, yeah, I would say that I started late high school and I haven't really stopped. Yeah. It's just been constant since Yeah, it fluctuates. I mean, certain years I'm playing with a lot more groups than others it really depends on how busy they are 
you know, there have been, I mean, there have been summers where I've been working with 12 bands at a time and then other summers where I've worked with just one band at a time. Yeah. You know, just depending on how busy they're keeping me. Yeah. Um, so yeah. That's crazy. Is that like a whole, I mean, is it pretty easy to be able to play with, you know, that many, I mean, I mean, I imagine there's nothing easy about it, but as far as like practicing goes, how to, like, how do you like make time to learn all the different, you know, sets that they want to do? Yeah. I think the thing that what, one of the things that I really got from school was how to take notes. Well, Alan taught me a lot about that too. In the, in the sense that I feel like I can listen to a song and depending on like in in one listen through i can likely have an outline of the song oh okay you know if i have another listen through i've got a more detail you know and so now three times through a song i've got a really detailed experience on paper you know and i i i take notes well enough that i know what i mean so now i can I mean, I've gotten better at this, but like the, what got me through working with 12 groups, for example, during a summer was being able to like write the music down on paper so that I didn't have to remember it. I had an external memory bank, essentially. I had okay. a book of tunes. That way, when I went to go play with a group, I put the paper in front of me and then it sounds like I have it memorized, even though I don't, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that does. It, that's how you do it, man. It's okay. like, it, it, I, I, I don't think I have the, the headspace to do it all. I, I don't know. I know people that, I, I know a couple of people that are musical like that in the sense that they hear it once or twice and they just have it memorized and they don't need to take notes. I'm, I'm not there much. So like uh, when you would listen to it, would, is in like, would you go meet them and like, all right, I'm going to listen through it or would they just send you like, all right, here's an audio file of like us recorded it. Like what do you usually do? Some of both. Oh, it okay. really depends. Some people don't have the, the, the book of tunes developed enough to be able to have it record recorded already. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it would be like rehearsals, you know, the first, like if, if it was like a cold group, never played with them before, they don't have any recordings. I'd probably just let them, I'd, I'd ask them to be patient with me. You know, it's like, why don't you just play the song and let me stumble all the way through it? <laughs> you know, yeah. just let me just screw up, you know? And at that point, what I'm doing is I'm kind of pushing the limits of the song you know seeing what ideas don't work that Mm -hmm. way i can eliminate you know like everything outside of that circle then the next time through it's like now i'm trying to find the skeleton you know it's like what needs to happen you know and at that point like i i would probably write out a fair amount on paper you know that way i'm there and then like and then i'd test it you know in the sense that okay now i'm gonna play pretty much what i have on the page and that's it and see if i can get through it okay and Mm -hmm. now within three runs i've got a part that works you know and so if we do that you know if we play 10 songs three times each that's probably three hours worth of work. And then now we've probably got a set of tunes that I'm, I'm close to being prepared for. Yeah. You know, so, or the other approach is like, you know, if they send me links, it's the same thing. You know, now I have the audio in my house. I can just do it at my place and, you know, drink tea while I do it at my own speed, you know? Yeah. So different strokes for different folks. So as you were kind of starting to like get into music and everything was, uh, 
was your dad trying to be like, hey, maybe you should try and become, you know, get into like teaching, like is in like in school or anything like that? Was he trying to, or were you guys still kind of like respecting each other at a distance or anything like that? Yeah, Just... I would say there was a fair amount of distance in our relationship. It's um, it's interesting to me, man, because like my, I, I don't know, it, like that's kind of its own thing. My yeah. dad and I are very similar. Um, and a lot of times when personalities are really similar, they kind of rub. Okay. And so what's interesting about my dad and I is like, I I think that like, if we were to write out our top three priorities, two of those three would be the same, probably music and faith. Right. Yeah. And so like now, like we've got those two parallels, my dad's taste of music and mine are completely different. Right. So we can't, we have a kind of a hard time agreeing there and then same thing with faith you know in the sense that we both have really strong elements of faith but they're they're different genres you know and so like there was i mean i would say there's a lot of respect my dad is like phenomenal at what he does yeah he's far better at it than i will ever be but it's not what i want to be you know and i realized that in school like as they start to groom you to become a public music educator you have to get two different degrees. You have to get the music degree and the education degree. And like the education degree is basically a bunch of science, math, writing, like all of those fundamentals that I'm not interested in honing past where, you know, yeah. like I, I want to become a better writer, but I'm not looking to like do a bunch of homework to become a better writer. Yeah. Right. And so like I, at that point I realized that that's not really like, I've seen my dad be a public music educator like funding's getting cut. There's all this stress. I don't want that, you know? And so like to, to, I, I realized in school that I didn't want to do the sacrifice to become a public educator when I didn't want to be a public educator. Yeah. I feel like you never really hear a teacher be like, oh yeah, funding's getting boosted. You know, like it's always like funding's getting cut. It is getting cut. Which is unfortunate, especially for, you know, um, you know, I th- I think that music is an important part of like you know I feel like that's a it makes I just feel like it it makes people think in a different way it's a very intense creative outlet I've never been able to like really you know delve into it all that much and like learn but like I grew up with siblings that listen to all kinds of different types of music so i have a very wide range of music that i listen i have some of your music on my phone and stuff (laughs) and i mean people are always surprised i'm shuffling through you know we'll be at you know we could be at you know the bgs and then we'll be listening to acdc and then i'll be listening to lady gaga and you know just like all over the place you know (laughs) so but um did you have a certain type of music that you were kind of raised listening to or did you kind of listen to all kinds of things? Yes, but I want to backtrack okay. just a second because you were talking about like uh, music being important. And, and, yeah. You know, and so like I, I just I want to tap on that for a second. Um, I think music is really important in a number of different ways. For one, like learning to read music is really good for your minds, yeah. like your, your brain health mm-hmm. in the sense that it's good for your neuroplasticity. It yeah. engages all four quadrants of your brain simultaneously. Yeah. So like the act of reading music is good for you. Yeah. The act of creating music can be good for you on any number of ways. Even if you have no musical experience at all, just sitting at a piano and like, 
experimenting and trying to like express yourself is good medicine and that doesn't have to be for anybody but you right mm-hmm. you don't have to play with anybody you don't have to perform for anybody so that's important listening to music is really important even if you have no like musical constructs in your mind at all you can listen to a song and emote with it right and so even just listening to music is really important yeah and so i feel like you know th- that's one thing that's kind of scary about the arts getting cut is like and i think the same thing goes for painting or pottery ceramics like sculpture like self-expression is important it's how we kind of stay safe in a society in the sense that like i can create something that sounds really angry and that's going to be okay like i'm i'm gonna like i'm not gonna hurt anybody by doing that and so Mm -hmm. like if i'm frustrated with something that's a really safe outlet and i don't feel like we're being educated or there isn't much financial support in educating people on how to emote safely i think that's part of this whole pc thing too yeah you know in the sense that like it's really hard to feel comfortable emoting to people because our vocabularies are so sensitive in the sense that the words that are safe to use are constantly changing and so when we try to describe something we try to articulate it with the words that we have and then we find out that those words aren't appropriate and then people get upset and it's just like there's that's that's that, that's an issue right now is self-expression and so like i i feel like if there's there again that's like music is really important yeah no for sure i was listening to a podcast where a guy was talking about how growing up his his parents made him learn piano like playing piano and everything classical piano and he said that you know growing up he didn't really value it until he was a little bit older and could see all the different ways that it didn't help him just to understand music, but it was helping him to learn other things in life. He would just kind of had of a more creative way of retaining information that he was gaining. Yeah. And it's kind of just talking about the true importance of, you know, learning something like that, learning something like musically, just getting challenged like that as a kid. And, uh, I wish I would have been able to do that. Like it would have been a door for me, but I feel like it definitely isn't a door that should be closed for people. Like it shouldn't be something that gets cut, you know? Yeah. I feel like that's something that's pretty important. Yeah. But it's, yeah. I mean, it it helps with language learning. It helps with any number of different things. It's, I feel like a lot of times, like for me, what I, learning in general i I, i'm trying to get really good at learning yeah you know i want to be able to learn something very thoroughly as quickly as possible um and so like a lot of times what i'll do is i'll i'll try to like study biology or or you know an element of chemistry that i'm fascinated in or or i mean the obvious one is music you know or social studies and and be able to like look at problem solving through each of those channels you know and as you develop those pathways of problem solving you can you then have like a toolbox and you can come across a situation that needs solving and you have all these different avenues to be able to kind of approach the problem you know if i were a musician how would i think about this if i were a mycologist how would how would i think about this yeah. if i was like a maintenance guy how would i think about that you know and so it's just like there again like music is just another pathway for problem solving yeah um and it's yeah i think that it's 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 valuable that's all <laughs> yeah no it's that's true how would you suggest if somebody was if they heard this and they were like oh i'm kind of concerned now like how can i help it? Is there anything that can really be done to help keep that in schools you think 
yeah, I think that participating in it, like it's one of those, it's supply and demand, right? Yeah. You know, so if you're interested, if you're worried about it, then enroll your kids in it. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, don't for, I, I don't believe in forcing kids to do things that they don't want because they're all natural geniuses. I think that every kid has something that they're like supposed to. Yeah, yeah. I guess I believe in fate or destiny in a sense that I, I feel like every individual has something that they're like going to excel at if given the opportunity. Yeah. And so music isn't for everybody. So like, yeah. If anything, just like I, I guess like support your kid in whatever it is that they're naturally like excelling through. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, if if music is something, then try to disregard like all the stereotypes of musicians being flaky and like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and and let them experience music. You know, um, there's plenty of programs outside of the public. That's what's interesting right now is like I, I guess I'm 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 a fruit of that. You know, the the public school sector is cutting away music, and now there's all these private enterprises that are developing for public or yeah for education for for music for youth. Yeah. Um. And so you know, there's there like in the gorge, for example, there's like whole music festivals where all the profits go to the public music the, the oh. public education systems music department yeah you know and so there's there's definitely things happening i think the thing is there again just like participate you know step away from the tv and go participate yeah for sure <laughs> so uh, i also know that you you you've gained a lot of general understanding about a lot of different instruments is that from just like picking stuff up trying it or did you like did you like seek out like I want to learn kind of how to play you know I want to get better at this and so I'm going to go make time to sit down and try that there were a number of different facets to it I remember being encouraged fairly early music is a language right and so if I can learn to speak the language on one instrument like I I start to develop a vocabulary and grammar phrasing like all those things that language do on that instrument now just because i move over to an instrument doesn't mean that i lose any of those concepts it just means that that like geographically on the instrument my fingers have to do different things in order to communicate those same ideas yeah right so now it means that there again just like i talked about the different pathways through like thinking about it as a mechanic or thinking about it as a mycologist or a biologist you know i can problem solve in music thinking about it as a bass player thinking about it as a guitar player thinking about it as a keyboardist as a vocalist as a drummer you know and so like all those perspectives make me more valuable and they enrich my perspective on each of the others as i study the drums i i understand how to be a better bass player because now i'm thinking like a drummer you know and so i was encouraged really you know in fairly early in my music education to to explore other instruments so that was one element of it for two i started recording fairly early and so like i didn't have a bunch of people that were really interested in in helping me write my own songs Mm. so like i started learning how to play guitar so that i could record guitar on my own songs so as a recording artist i was like encouraged to start learning other instruments and then as an educator you know, like that's kind of my bread and butter right now is like educating people on, on music. And so, th- I mean, like I, I am a bass player as an entertainer, you know, like I play bass for most of my ensembles. Mm-hmm. I have like one bass student right now out of the 40 students that I have. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is just kind of ironic that the instrument that I've spent the most hours mastering 
is the one that I teach the least. Yeah. There aren't a lot of kids that want to be bass players because it's the it's the foundation of the house. You know, it's it's one of the more important things in the sense that like if you don't have the foundation if you don't have a sturdy foundation, the house isn't going to last very long. It doesn't matter how pretty it is. Yeah. Right? But there aren't a lot of kids that go into music with the foresight of like I want to be the foundation of the house. Yeah. You yeah. know. And so and I mean even from a parent's perspective, more often than not pianos makes a lot of sense you know and and guitar makes a lot of sense that's or or you get the people that just want to make a lot of noise and they want to play drums you know yeah. and it's just like so that you know there i so there again like learning to to teach piano and guitar made 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 educating my my bread and butter yeah okay so um so as you did, <clears throat> you fell away from, you know, dealing with alchemy and such. How did you, like, what were some of the next bands and stuff that you got incorporated into? Yeah, so I think soon after that, the, the next group that I really started investing in um, was Jared Lawson. Oh, wow. Um, so Jared Jared went to CCC as well. My yeah. dad was his vocal or his vocal coach in high school. So, like, he grew up in Malala, went to Clackamas Community College, and then started doing his own thing from there. Yeah. Um, so he approached me at some point. You know, we'd had a number of loose interactions throughout my teenage years. Because um, he's a little bit older than you, right? He's like 11 years older than okay, me. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, but yeah, at one point he, he was like, man, I'm going to be putting a band together. Do you want to play bass? And I was like, yeah. You know, at that point I had been listening to his music for probably a year and a half or two um and i i liked it a lot you know it was it's rich music there's a lot there's a lot happening musically and lyrically mm -hmm. but um and so he asked me about that and i i mean we started rehearsing fairly quick after that and putting time into that project um the wishermen was the group that grew up in that private academy at the age oh, okay. school that's how that founded is like we we spent all this time together and then graduated by releasing a record right oh you know okay, yeah. and so that perpetuated for a little while longer um i'm trying to think i mean like in that point i there was like um a roomba band so we were playing like hispanic weddings yeah and doing that kind of thing learning those tunes learning to read those charts get those feels together um will started happening somewhere around there will kinky and i play together a lot we've worked together for about seven years now is there a type of music like like between you know roomba or hip-hop or anything that is kind of deceivingly like challenging to play like it's a little bit it's a little bit harder more complex than people would probably give it um credit for or i mean is yeah um I don't know, man. I don't know. Everything has its knack, yeah. right? I think the trick is sounding authentic in that style. Mm. You can play crappy reggae, yeah. right? <laughs> you can play horrible reggae, but to play really good reggae takes about as much time as it does to play really good soul music, mm. really good R&B. Yeah. You know, these things have learning curves, and I think that every musician kind of has their own like strengths and weaknesses 
right? So like R&B and hip hop came really naturally to me. Oh, okay. Reggae was really challenging for me. It took me a long time to get to the point where I feel like, yeah, I'm starting to sound like I have an idea of what I'm doing, right? <laughs> yeah. It, it took me years, you know, of playing the same book of tunes over and over again. Wow. It was it was challenging for me. So yeah, I think that different genres are are more counterintuitive to different players, mm -hmm. but they're all like all of them kind of have their niche. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Okay. So so you you played for a Roomba band, and then um like is there one kind that you were like set with for a while, or were these just kind of like side projects here and there when they do like hey freezing we need a uh, we need some help. I think, how do I answer this? I think that for me, man, like what's really important to me is that I spend most of my time in music. Oh, okay. Any kind. Yeah. Okay. And so like there again, I, I, I feel like I've kind of got this weird, this weird path in front of me because it, it's constantly changing shape. And I'm not really controlling it. Yeah. Like the opportunities that, like, I'm just trying to respond to the opportunities that present themselves to me, which is, I mean, it's kind of interesting because, like, I, I've responded to the ones that I've ha had so far, and, like, they open up new circles, new communities, right? And so people become aware of me within that community. And then, like, maybe one out of every. 200 of those people may have an opportunity for me. Mm -hmm. And so like, I'll keep kind of moving down that road that is like the same road, yeah. but I'm not really pushing down that road. I'm trying to like, let things come to me. Um, and so it's, it's interesting because like, I think that there's been like a number of different routes that keep like expressing themselves like soul music and R and B that happens a lot. Yeah. Um, blues and rock and roll happens a lot mm -hmm. and then like abstract jazz like keeps happening a lot yeah. you know in the sense that like the wishermen did their thing for years and then it disbanded and then now i'm working with cameron morgan who and it's a kind of like a trio shape and it very much mimics the same kind of pathway that the the wishermen had but it's separated by maybe eight years, you know, and it's a different group of guys doing a, a kind of similar thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just interesting how like certain things like will stop and then they'll pick themselves back up, just reinterpreted. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I play a lot of soul music. I play a lot of hip hop and I play, a, you know, a fair amount of rock and roll. And, uh, you know, I, I try my best at jazz. Yeah. <laughs> So early on, were um, had you invested into buying like a, a base, or did you already have one, like were you borrowing one? Or? I bought one. I bought. I mean, let's see here. I think now I've had one, two, three, four. I've had five bases in my life, and I still have two of them. Oh, okay. And are those the custom made ones? Yeah, I do okay. have two custom instruments at this point. And do you want to talk about those at all? I mean, um, or, or are those kind of yeah. Like your... But here, let's talk about investing in music first. Yeah. Um, I feel like what ended up happening was I, I invested a lot in in music and buying records. You well, know, yeah, not, I... not CD, not vinyls, but like. I, you know, that was a big part of it was just kind of like exposing myself to sound. Um, 
And so like, I think that there again, like one of the, the tricks that I had up my sleeve is that I realized that the public library is like one of the largest resources of music available for free. You know, they'll let you take it home for like a week. And at that point you can kind of do with it what you will. And on top of that, they'll ship it to you. It's like you live like in a county and there's this network of libraries and all of them have these massive CD collections. Oh, yeah. And then they'll ship it to your nearest library and all you have to do is walk down and pick it up and then you get to listen to a record for a week for free. You know, it, that was like one of the biggest ways that I was investing in music early on. I think that that's something that's dying too, man. Talking about the industry flopping is like, there aren't many people that are buying music anymore. They pay for music services, but they aren't really buying music. Like an album as a whole? I'm not even talking about the physical product, but oh, yeah, an oh, album okay. as a whole. Yeah. You know, in the sense that like, I'm listening to this album right now. Yeah. You know, or I just bought this record right now. Like, I don't even need you to like buy a CD. I, to be honest, I'm pretty against it because like realistically, I like the idea of not having a lot of possessions. And okay. like, so if if I were to have just a massive collection of vinyl, like it would be really hard to move that or yeah. store that. So that doesn't appeal to me at all. But the idea of like buying a record and listening to a story, because like a lot of times these artists are trying to package something for you to listen to from front to back, Yeah, you know, and like we were in the habit now of just taking the excerpt out of the middle that we like and doing that, you know, and so... I don't know. I, I would, it, that's one thing, like it, it talking about like supporting music. If you're going to support music, like spend some money on an album, yeah. you know, like uh, my favorite way right now is Bandcamp in the sense that they have this way of like demoing albums to you, you know, and you can kind of listen to what's selling well right now and then you can buy it and it's all digital. So you don't have to store anything, yeah. but like you get to listen to artists and their whole story. Right. Rather than just like listening to one song here and one song there. I don't know. I think yeah. that maybe there again, like sometimes patience pays off because if you listen to something through enough times, you start to get an image for it in your mind. Like you start to understand the whole presentation and then there's some value to that hour experience in comparison to the three minute experience. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. It's kind of interesting listening to. Um, yeah, it is really interesting. List like when I heard some like songs as a kid or whatever, I just think like, oh, this sounds good. Until you know, maybe like learning about that the artists themselves. Like I never knew until recently that uh, Tears in Heaven was written about you know his son that died. You know, and I just like, oh, it makes it heavy to listen to. Totally. It gets a context. Yeah. And so like, it's, it is interesting. Like when you gain, um, con like I listened to an interview of like Sturgill Simpson and I heard him talking about, um, some of his records and one of them kind of, he written while he was kind of struggling living in Seattle, Washington. And you can like just kind of hear like that versus maybe another song that he written in another part in his life. It's interesting because you can really listen to someone and think like I can relate to this so much, and then you can listen to another one that's totally different person and like I can really listen. To, you know, it's just interesting to be able to relate to somebody that you don't know, but you get to listen to a part of their life, you know, embodied in a three minute song or something like that. You that's know? the magic, man. I yeah. feel like. 
people people are drawn to music and sometimes they have a hard time articulating it yeah. you know they can maybe say that it feels good but like why does it feel good you, know, you start to like explore that and it gets kind of hairy it's kind of yeah. hard to articulate why music is so important but yeah. i think you're touching on it man it's yeah. magic in the sense that you can listen to a stranger's story and like even if it's not directly what they're talking about like yeah. say I'm talking about depression because of a you know let's say because I lost my mother for example you know like thankfully I haven't lost my mother yeah <laughs> you know but like you may pick that up as like a loved one like a romantic partner you know and just because we miscommunicated doesn't mean that your experience isn't valid yeah right that's what's magical about it is the fact that you can reinterpret something that I've expressed. And it can have this whole significance to you that I didn't intend at all. Yeah. And both experiences are validated by that. Yeah. It's really, I mean, that's, it. it's like alchemy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's true. <laughs> I think it's really funny to listen to some of the stuff that was written in like the 60s and 70s. Like a lot of the Beatles songs that listen to them when you, you know, like it kind of just sounds sound like, oh, this is just a nice sounding song until you realize that, you know, oh, they may have been like under the influence of stuff and being really creative, you know, but it's cool. It's cool to listen to that, especially me as like somebody that's never taken. Like I've never used drugs of any kind, but I can appreciate people that want to use that to gain a creative outlet, you know. And so it's just kind of interesting listening to where someone's mind goes, bringing in another, another variable, you know? Yeah, totally. Because, I mean, there again, I think what, what's magical about it is like you get to absorb part of a life that you haven't lived. Yeah. I've never, I my, my experience is very different than John Lennon's. Yeah. You know, it's like, but whenever I listen to him, if I take some time and like really open my ears and listen to what he's saying... I, I get a perspective on his life. Yeah. You know, it's and in that sense it's really enriching because like I can go to somebody that has a completely different existence than mine and pick up lessons from their world without having to deal with all the hardships of it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's kinda like cheating. Yeah. <laughs> so so when you say that you uh you definitely encourage people to invest in the music, are you talking like time or like like just going out there, going to the library? checking out different kinds of like albums and such or? i think that i think that i don't know there's there's a couple of different types of people um and so it, it looks different for different people i think that yes like i would encourage people to listen to a record you know like give the record a chance if you like a single on it give the record a chance mm -hmm. you know um see if you can like tease your attention span out a little bit longer and get to the point where you can like listen to something for an hour yeah you know rather than shuffling through every three minutes so that's like one element mm -hmm. two the go see live music because that is a very different experience to actually because it's an athletic pursuit you're gonna see people do things with their hands that you likely can't do you know yeah. and it's like Granted, it's not a time trial where people are running around in a circle and trying to beat that clock or yeah. they're jumping over something or running with a ball, you know, like nonetheless, it is an athletic pursuit. These people train, they stretch, they like they they yeah, they do. They train their hands to, to pull things off, you know, and so like 
you'll you'll get to witness that element of it which you it's really hard to do that while this just like listening to a cd the other thing is you'll get to see people interact there's this magic that happens in an ensemble where like the way i had it described to me is like I like everybody has their internal clock. Most people like are are fairly aware of it in the sense that they'll wake up and go to bed approximately about the same time. They get hungry around the same time. You know, they have their internal clock. I've worked really hard at developing my internal clock to the point to where like the way yeah, I, I like externalize it. I feel comfortable enough with my clock that I can put it outside of my body. And that's what a band is basically doing is there everybody is taking their internal clock and putting it in the middle of the room and everybody is feeling time together at the same time. Yeah. Everybody is feeling everybody else's clock. Yeah. Right. And so I know that's really abstract and kind of woo woo. No, but- it's, it's, it's interesting. And I can kind of see what you mean, especially when you guys, I've seen you play live, but like, it's interesting to watch your guys' communication with each other without saying anything yeah. yeah there's a lot of body language yeah and eye contact it's like a lot of like throwing <laughs> the head you know it's, yeah but yeah so you get to witness that yeah. like and that you don't get to witness with your eyes on a cd yeah. so you know so like listening to a record you know going and seeing music and then like tease yourself see if you can pick up lessons mm-hmm. you know go if see see if you can like practice an instrument yeah. because like it, it, and that probably we live we live in an era where we want results now. Yeah. You know, and so like that's you can't you can't cram with music. It's not yeah. you you got to be patient with yourself. And so like I I think the thing that I would encourage like the perspective there is like have the insight that if you're going to take like if you're going to try to learn some music take it as a lifelong endeavor. This is something that you'll be able to do when you're 80. You know, granted, if you still have your hands, likely it's not it's not so taxing that you won't be able to do it then. You know, so it's like if you start now, like how old are you, Kyle? I'm 24 right now. Yeah, you're 24 right now. So if you had another 60 years in you, you know, from today, yeah, hopefully you will. Yeah, you know, and you started taking music a little bit more seriously today you'd likely still be experiencing and enriching that same skill 60 years from now. Yeah. You know, that's a lot, that's a lot of life left that you could like, even if it was like an hour a week, you know, like you could, you could, you could develop something in that time span. So just like, I think the thing is to like have foresight and be patient. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, that's a good point. Even, I guess, yeah. Even if it was just an hour, I mean, like, I don't need to be the next Santana or no, anything like no, that. Like, no. just to feel like, yeah, I can dabble. I can have a little fun, you know. I can appreciate, you know. Even if it's that one song, man. If you learn that one song, and you can play that at a campfire sometime, yeah, like that's an enriching experience that you get to share with people. A little bit of magic that you get to share with folks, you know. Yeah, and that they get to take with them. Who knows? They might have that memory in them for a really long time. That's and that's true. just having that one song. You don't even need to have two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. But uh, all right. So, so what would you say is the best kind of way for somebody? Like, say somebody's listening. Like, shit, I need to go get on this. Like, how can I get? my foot in the door and try playing you know the guitar learn about the bass or the drums what do you say go to craigslist or go to look for some okay yeah so i mean you're gonna need an instrument to practice yeah 
it's really hard to develop the skill without the tool. Mm -hmm. You know, so th there's a couple of pros and cons to each instrument. The one thing about the guitar is like, it is stringed instruments in general are one of the few instruments that it actually hurts to develop the skill on. You're doing new things with your hands. Yeah. Like we hardly use those muscles for anything else. Like they're pretty much unique to the guitar. Yeah. Um, that and handwriting, those are kind of, they share a lot of the same muscle structures. But just like, yeah, some of the ways that you'll like you'll bend have your to, fingers. That is, and the weird. strings are wound. Yeah. Right. And so anytime you slide up the string, you're shaving skin off. Yeah. Right. And so it takes time to, it literally, it, it's not just like time, like months. It takes hours. Like you have to like, you have to put in enough hours on the instrument to where your skin adapts to dealing with those strings. And like that, that period of time, like however quickly you put those hours in and there again, the more condensed those experiences are, mm -hmm. the quicker you build the calluses, yeah. you know, then it will stop hurting. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's like, it, that, that's the one thing about the guitar. I feel it. Like, and that, and it's kind of visually tricky to look at, yeah. you know, it's like, there aren't a lot of roadmaps on it. You know, it's just, you're kind of looking at this enigma, you know? Yeah, no, looking at like a cluster of strings and it's, it's just crazy when you watch, you know, anyone that's really experienced play, you know, Santana or Stevie Ray Vaughan or whoever and just watching them just change their fingers over the string so controlled, not even really looking at it or thinking about it. Right. It's just crazy. Like, it just kind of blows your mind as somebody that doesn't really play, you know? Right. And it just seems like, man, how did he get there? <laughs> Lots but, of time. Yeah. Yeah, so I I mean, that's that's kind of the one tricky thing about the stringed instruments. Uh, piano is it doesn't hurt to play. Yeah, you know it's just like you have to be a little bit more flexible with all ten of your fingers. Yeah, you know um, it doesn't and and it's a lot the the visual pattern is a lot more recognizable on the keyboard um, than the guitar. So the learning curve on the piano is a little bit easier than the guitar. Mm -hmm. So that's the one thing I, I'd preface there. Drums are, are loud and expensive. Those are the main obstacles there. Coordination is the thing too, but you know, like they're loud, big and expensive. Yeah. Um, but so, you know, getting an instrument, you know, Craigslist is a great way to go. If you have somebody in your network that is musically versed, then they can go with you to this Craigslist house and look at said instrument and kind of help you make sure that you're confident in the investment. Yeah. I think used instruments are, are really the way to go in a lot of ways um, until you're like, until you're yearning to invest a lot of money into something. Yeah. Um, it, so I, I talked about different types of people. Uh, I, 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 I'd consider myself a bit of an autodidact. Like I like to teach myself and I've gotten pretty good at learning how to keep myself accountable to learn something. Um, but that's not everybody. So like I, I haven't taken any guitar lessons, um, but I, I can play the guitar. Yeah. Um, that's not everybody's route, you know? So like if, if you are that type of person, then there's so many resources on the internet for free mm -hmm. that if you just take the time to like browse a little bit, it's kind of like podcasting in the sense that like, 
what I tend to do when I find a podcast that, or to, to find a podcast that I want to listen to is like, I'll, I'll find somebody that I really like, like Paul Stamets is somebody that I really admire. And so I'll search his name. And then there's like 20 different people that have interviewed Paul Stamets. And out of those 20 that I've listened to, maybe there's one or two that I really like how they approached the interview. Mm. And at that point, I'll just listen to dude, you know, yeah. it's like, I'll see who else he's interviewed. Right. And so now I kind of have a channel that I'm interested in. Music lessons are the the same way there's thousands of people describing the major scale but if you can find one or two people that describe it really well uh, in a way that you understand then keep cruising with that guy now you two like it's a virtual relationship but you've got an understanding of each other mm-hmm. right and so now likely if he explains the major scale in a way that you really understand he'll likely describe more complicated things in the same avenue that you understand yeah. so i think the trick is finding somebody that you can under that you can relate to and understand yeah you know if if you aren't if you want somebody to help keep you accountable you know, because that's kind of the tricky thing about teaching yourself is being accountable to yourself. It, then that's where the instructor comes in. Yeah. You know, find an instructor. You know, and there again, I think the thing is, is be patient. You got to find somebody that communicates like you do, you know, and give them a chance too. you may not know within the first lesson whether he's or she is the person for you. Yeah. You know, so give give it a couple tries. And then if it's not working, then try somebody else. There's lots of people trying to teach music. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of different... Like, my brother, like, he learned guitar just by himself. He bought, like, some little book, you know, just some little... that showed different... Yeah. uh, You know, all that stuff. And he kind of just taught himself. Because he didn't really like going to, like, courses, you know, and stuff. Didn't like going to class. So, he just taught himself. I feel like a lot of people can do that. But then there's some other people that like want to gain insight from somebody as they go. The thing I think the thing is, is that um, the other thing to be really clear about is what are your goals? Right. You were talking about not having to be Carlos Santana. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, like, if if you can have a clear vision of what your musical goals are, you know, like I want to play three songs around the campfire. Yeah. Right. You know, say that's your goal. That is a very different like learning process than wanting to be Santana, right? Very, very different. And so like a book is strict in the sense that it's setting your musical goals for you, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, I'm going to teach you to do this and whether you like it or not, that's what this book is going to do, you know? Whereas with a teacher, the value is, is like you can go in and express your musical goals and then they can shape a curriculum to your musical goals and get you to where you want to be a lot quicker. Yeah. So that like investment wise, there's a lot more like you get a lot more for your time that you Mm -hmm. put in because they're like directly, they're directly helping you to where you want to be. Yeah. So I think like, but that can only happen if you have a clear vision of what your goals are, what it is that you want music to be for you. Okay. Yeah. I've, uh, I've been kind of surprised just when the times that I've kind of ventured into that a bit, how I, I found that, um, it's surprising how few chords a song can contain sometimes and just a little bit of a change in the way that it flows can make it sound like this other song that everybody knows, you know, like, yeah, it's just kind of crazy how sometimes something sounds really complex until you start pulling it apart and you're like, I could do that if I really tried, you know? Yeah. 
So well, I think that that's you touched on it too, in the sense that that like I don't know eighty. Well, let let's uh, let's let's be conservative. Let's say sixty percent of the songs out there have maybe four chords in them, right? And out of those that sixty percent of songs, I would guess that maybe fifty percent of that uses the same four chords <laughs> yeah right <laughs> you know so if you get yourself to the point where you have a dozen chords that you can play and mm-hmm. you're feeling like you can move between them fluidly yeah you have hundreds of songs at your disposal at that point yeah it's just a matter of you memorizing them and memorizing the words if you're wanting to sing along to them you know that's the tricky part is the lyrics at that point because each of those songs have different lyrics right just yeah. because they share chords doesn't mean they share words yeah for sure but yeah i think that you're you're right in the sense that i i think that a lot of times the investment is less than we think it is the hard part is just that first obstacle getting to the point where you can move between a couple of chords fluidly yeah. once you have that idea down then you it's kind of like wide open at that point yeah Yes, because so if you learn like a handful of chords and you mix and match those mm-hmm. and, you know, develop different timings with them and all that, mm-hmm. you could actually know quite a few different like songs, yeah, I guess, totally. you know, which is pretty cool. And I think that sometimes somebody that isn't, you know, they haven't tried yet. They kind of don't see that, you know, but then when you really know, when you know about that, you're like, I could do that, I guess. Like if I bought, if I spent, you know. 100 150 bucks on a second hand guitar i just developed you know learned a chord like every two weeks or so just hammered away at a chord you know eventually you could be playing some songs you know well yeah if we're saying a handful of chords and you learn a chord a month yeah so that's 12 chords in a year yeah right at that point you have like plenty i mean you've achieved the goal that we just talked about you've, yeah. you've got a hundred songs at your disposal at that point with those 12 chords you know it's just a matter of the next year maybe it's a song a month instead of a chord a month yeah you know or even let's go conservative you know like maybe four songs in the year you know so now mm-hmm. you've got a song every three months you yeah. know and at the end of that you've got four songs that you can you have memorized and yeah that you can play you know and so right there we're talking about two years of investment you know and we're talking maybe an hour a week you know not not a whole lot of time you know but so you're 104 hours in by the end of two years and you've got four songs that you've got memorized that you can play on most guitars you would likely be able to borrow a friend's guitar you know you're at a set and you know party and there's a guitar there you're able to play those four tunes after two years of very light work light yeah very light which is pretty i mean that's pretty cool you know to think about like Wow, if I did just a fraction of, you know, the average person, what they pour into a job that some people don't even care about, if you just pour it into something that you're, you're, you know, somewhat interested in, you can learn something pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I want to kind of get back into your career and everything. Cool. And, um, so, so you've been also folks like you've been having to survive by you know working other kinds of jobs what are some of the other jobs because you know obviously i met you through one of those jobs the golf course yeah but um what are all the other kinds of jobs that you've been doing while you've been okay um my first job i was like a janitor at an insurance company Uh, okay i did that for a couple of years 
Uh, then I worked at McDonald's. I did graveyard there for like three years, three oh, and a half years. I remember you telling me about some interesting <laughs> stuff there, yeah. which you can talk about if you want. Or if uh, it isn't that interesting. <laughs> I'm not necessarily proud of all those moments. Um, I worked a graveyard at Safeway for years, three years. I worked at a guitar shop for a couple of years. I uh, worked at the golf course for like three and a half years. Um, and then after that, I mean, it's just been, it's just been music, man. It's, I think I'm on my second year now consecutively where I haven't done anything, but, oh no, that's not true. After the golf, uh, golf course, I was doing maintenance on houses. I was working for oh, a yeah. firm where we were flipping houses, basically taking houses that weren't approved for, for loans and then bringing them up to code so that they could lease them out to people. Yeah. Um, so I did that for about a year. A little over a year yeah um and then since then it's just been ed- educating and entertaining and recording yeah and i mean I, I know a lot of different people that you know they they go they're focused on the passion being a musical route but and i think it's easy especially with instagram and facebook and everything to look at someone's life and be like man how do they get to just survive just doing music and stuff but it's all these people that i know too have other jobs that you know you don't see and i think that sometimes it's easy to forget you still got to be grinding you still got to work at other things was that frustrating for you to not just get a focus on work or have you gained from getting to work you know at the golf course at safeway um what did i gain from grinding um well i gained a lot of tools you know it's like i realized that in order to do my dad talked about it as like a drug addiction. He was like, music is an addiction in the sense that you're going to like play on said piece of equipment and then you're going to need another piece of equipment. And now you're playing on those pieces of equipment and then you're going to need another tool. And so my toolbox keeps expanding, right? Which means that for a while, all the money that I would make off of music had to go right back into music. So it was like I was breaking even yeah. on music, right? And so... Working at Safeway, for example, gave me money to eat while I built <laughs> yeah. my toolbox. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, and I met, you know, I met a lot of friends. I have friends from almost every job I've ever had still. Yeah. You know, it's just like, so I, I've made friends and like I've developed a work ethic and it's given, given me like appreciation for the fact that now I'm my own boss. You know, I really value the fact that I'm self-employed yeah. and that I'm, I'm grateful for it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, it was good. I mean, and different jobs were good for different things. I learned different skills at all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, like the fact that I feel like slightly uh, informed on what happens when you're plumbing a house, you know, like that's kind of valuable. Yeah. You know, it's like now I'm not I'm not so intimidated to try and fix something that's in my house. Yeah. You know, so like that was a skill set that I, you know, that I'm really grateful for, mm-hmm. um, you know. Or, you know, even with the golf course, man, it's so funny, like going to weddings, like I played a wedding a few months ago where it was at a golf course and just like, like stepping out for a minute and being able to tell what was done that day, you know, it's like, oh, it looks like they mowed this way today. They recently aerated. That looks like they spread lime, you know, it's just like, you know, kind of being able to like look and be like, oh, wow, this is this is what y'all did. You know? Yeah. There's definitely like an appreciation. Like I missed it for a minute. I sat there and I was like, Oh, I kind of, I kind a little bit, I kind of a little bit miss it. <laughs> yeah. No, honestly, like 
if I could make the same money that I make now doing that stuff, I'd probably go back. It's such a cool gig. I like just like listening to whatever I want to listen to. Not really having to talk to anybody, but right. you know, every once in a while, stopping and talking to like you or Kendra or getting a few chuckles out of Kip or something. <laughs> I don't know, but that was fun. Yeah, it was just nice. It was, it was a good. Job, it was a good man. way to start the day. I'm really grateful for that job. It was a neat experience. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot more work that goes into golf courses than I think people appreciate. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and there's some crazy golfers. I think we learn, you know, just who shows up at like 5.45, 6 a.m. to go play 18 holes? You know, it's crazy. Yeah. But it's cool. It's cool that they have that passion about them and everything. But, man, there were just some times when I was surprised talking to you in the mornings when you're like, oh, yeah, I got like, 15 minutes of sleep like it's like what oh yeah i slept in my car here like good god dude like you know that stuff is crazy i mean how were you able to like just live that like oh yeah and then i gotta go practice after work and then we got a gig tonight it was just like i think the thing was that like i realized that it wasn't gonna happen unless i did it yeah you know and so there again i talk about like trying to respond to opportunities that open in front of me and so, like, there was a weekly gig on Wednesdays. It goes till 2 in the morning. It takes me an hour to get back to Malala. I've got to be up for work at 4. You know, now we're talking about me sleeping Jeez. for an hour yeah. once a week, you know, to, in order to pull that off. I, just, I needed to do it, man. It was just, like, I... The thing, I think the thing was, is, like, I was having fun playing music, too. Like, that was fulfilling me in the sense that I was making friends, learning new songs, making people feel good and dance and, like getting some decent food and like you know like having a good time and then like going and grinding the next day like i i got to to think about okay this is like paying my bills right and this is this is that new keyboard that i want you know mm -hmm. it's just like i just i had to i it take i i had to be patient while i grew my business you know because like teaching i mean i've been teaching for 13 years now wow you know and so like and now i'm at the point where it, i i like i just got hired by a private music academy full time huh. and so like i'm gonna be working at a music academy um as their head instructor you know and so it's just like but that took 13 years of me like learning how to design curriculums and like working with different ch children you know with different kinds of needs and developing that skill it's not like it happens overnight so i had to like and music was kind of the same thing i mean it's about 13 years now that i've been gigging professionally and so it's it's taken 12 to get to the point where my bills my business was like stable you know and so i think i was just i i was patient enough to realize that i had to grind through it in order to make it happen and I just wanted it. I want it more than anything, man. That's uh, like I put I, I sacrifice a lot for it. But that said, like I'm grind like I'm probably working sixty five hours a week right now. Yeah. You know, just like with all doing my own taxes and like all that other stuff, like scheduling, all those logistics that people don't consider outside of like practice performing and educating. But given how much you've had to work to get here, I imagine it's a fairly fulfilling six. Dude, I'm the happiest hours. I've ever been. Yeah. Considering that I, I don't like that I don't have much time outside of my business life, you know, but my business is my life, you know, like I, I there again, I, I think that's 
probably what puts me closer to like an entrepreneur, you know, like you could describe me as a businessman because that's what I want. You know, that's what I, I realize that I want it to be a business because like then it'll take care of me. If I take care of it, it'll take care of me. And so I'm just like, keep, I keep feeding it because well, for a couple of different reasons. One, I want to retire. Like I like the idea and by retire, I mean like not have to pay rent or pay much for food. I'm likely going to be playing music till I die, you know, but like I want to be at a point where I'm not stressing about like rent or like those, those monetary needs to where I could work when I want to work rather than having to work. Right. So like I have that goal out in the distance, but I realize for me to get there, there's a lot to do in between now and then. Yeah. Right. And so like I, I, I realize my body can handle a lot right now. Like I'm, I'm probably at my physical prime right about now. I'm maybe on the down, like I'm just starting to downslide from my physical prime in the sense that like my immune system's super tight. You know, it's just like I like my body can handle like sleep deprivation and malnutrition. You know, it's like so I can work my butt off right now. Yeah. You know, and so it's just like realizing that like now's the time I got to do it now, because like if I wait 10 years, I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, like I'm not going to be able to work as hard 10 years from today as I am right now. So I got to do it now. That's what's so hard, to, man. I, I'm i realizing that like with school, like, you know, it, it's not as easy as it used to be to just like get three hours of sleep and then go to school, you know, study, do my homework, go to work, you know, work a 10 hour shift and then go home. And, you know, it used to be, I'd be like, oh yeah. And then I'll just study after work. I'll get like two and a half, three hours of sleep. I'll be fine. And I would like, I would feel okay. And now I'm like, if I don't get at least six and a half hours of sleep, I'm going to hate tomorrow. Like, yeah. you know, it's getting to be where it's not as easy as it used to be. And like, so that's kind of, I realize now, like, I need to just, like, buckle down and grind through this so that 10, you know, 12 years down the road, I can be feeling good about the decisions I made. Because yeah. I might not be able to do it in 12 years like I could today. I, I, that's one thing that, I mean, I'm just, like, learning what kinds of maintenance my body requires. It didn't used to require maintenance. Yeah. You know, in the sense that, like, Yoga was me being curious and experiencing my body, you know, and like nutrition was me being curious and experiencing my body and like all those things. But now yoga is me keeping my spine in health so that I'm not sore at the end of the day. And nutrition is me keeping me well so that when I go and work with 20 kids in a day, my immune system doesn't freak out. Yeah. You know, it's like, so it's like, it, I'm, I'm literally requiring, I'm just noticing aging. It's kind of of an interesting thing man it's like that turn after 31 now i'm 31 and it's just like ah, uh, like i i need to stretch my wrists otherwise yeah. like i'm sore after a weekend of playing like this last week i played thursday night friday night saturday night sunday night you know it's just like after all of that like if i don't stretch my wrists like they hurt and yeah. that's the last thing i want you know and so it's just it's interesting man for yeah. sure yeah so um, your toolbox of different stuff that you've acquired. Um, yeah, I remember when I saw you, like your bass for the first time, I was like, whoa, that's really unique. That's yeah. a pretty cool instrument. Yeah. What made you decide, like, I'm going to drop this money and get this custom, you know? <laughs> that's, good. that's a good story. Um, so the first custom instrument that I bought, 
So I don't. I, I feel like I, like talking about the monetary value of it is kind of intense. Um, so I had a near death experience, um, and out of that near death experience, I came across a sum of money, a small sum of money. And with that, I, I basically, I tried to go, I tried to be a musician full time, you know, and not have a job that ate up a lot of money. I exper I experimented a lot with nutrition and like yoga and whatnot. So I had like, I was, I was spending money on something, you know, food, yeah. like trying to experience what different foods do to my body and what different types of like exercise do to my body. I was going to school full time and I was gigging. So like I depleted funds that way. And then the other thing that I did is I realized that I wanted an instrument that like kind of I could have for that would challenge me for the rest of my life, you know? And so it's, there was a record by Steve Bailey called solo. Um, and he played this monster of an instrument. It was just a series of duets, bass and drums. The entire record was bass and drums. No overdubs, no loop pedals, nothing. It was all live. And it sounded, it was just so rich and full that I was like, wow, that like, he was playing a six string fretless bass. And I was like, that, that is magic, man. Like, I, I would like to try that. So I started looking at people that were making custom instruments in my area because like, I wanted, I wanted to have a relationship with it. I didn't want it to just come from the East Coast and be mailed to me and here it is. You know, I, if I was going to invest that magnitude of funds into something, I, so, so I met the dude and I was like, this is what I want. Can we do something like it? He's like, yeah. Um, and I'm like, well, can I be involved? And he's like, yeah. So I interned with him. I worked in his wood shop for like eight months with him. Oh, wow. That was one of the, you know, there again, I wasn't working a job at that point. And so like I was going to school, I was gigging and I was working in his shop, you know? And so like, I learned a lot about woodworking and like repairing instruments and modifying instruments and, you know, and we worked on my base for about six months. And then what ended up happening was somebody had built this base before me. I think he had just finished it the year before I was there. Um, and he didn't want it anymore. And he was like, this isn't what I want, you know, like, and so Dave had to sell it. Dave King is the, the luthier's name. Uh, and he's like, dude, this is exactly what you're asking for plus. You know, the, I mean, it was it was like twenty five hundred dollars over my budget. You know, he's like, I'll give it to you for what you're spending on this instrument now, you know, and you won't have to wait three years for your base. You can walk home with it today. Um, wow. And so he's like, man, just go play it, you know, and see what you think about it. And so that was like a really stressful moment. Do I see my vision through and see this base that we're working on together? Do I be patient or do I just walk away with this beast of an instrument, you know, that. And so, I, I mean, I called my lover at the time and I called my mom and I was just like, you know, kind of like talking the whole thing through. I don't know what to do. And just like eventually I just played it enough and I was like, yeah, this is it. I want it. You yeah, know, I want this. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's that's how I came across that base. It's it's. It's one of a kind, man. It's, yeah. It, there's I mean, it, there's a number of interesting attributes to it. For one, he put about 280 hours into it. You know, so like that alone is a lot of time for one man to put into a project. So I feel like I'm, I'm lucky to have something that really encapsulates David King's essence inside of it. Yeah. There's no brand on it. Mm -hmm. There's no serial number on it. 
Yeah. There's there's a headstock on it, which that's kind of interesting because most of his bases are headless. So like it's interesting because it is so much him and at the same time so much not him, you know. Yeah. And at the same time it's just absolutely gorgeous. I mean, it's just like the sound is completely unique. Yeah. Like it everything about that instrument is just like and so I, I feel like there again, that was like my near death experience being being manifest into my passion which is sound you know and so like now i i have this weird you know like this weird after afterlife kind of thing that's happening and it's kind of funny because like the the instrument itself kind of has this afterlife present within it a lot of times when instruments are made they'll cut a piece of wood down the center and then and then pull them out on their sides open it like a book it's what they call book matching hmm. and what ends up happening is the grains are symmetrical at that point because you've basically cut the tree in half and then opened it right um and so what ends up happening because the symmetry is like our our minds are wired to see faces mm -hmm. because we see you know we that's like one of the most valuable types of stimulus that we get through our eyes is like facial contact um and so there's like there's two distinct faces on this instrument to me one on the front and one on the back and so it's just really interesting to me that like after my near-death experience i have this bass that has faces that look like they're stoked to be bases you know like <laughs> yeah 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 no that it, when i saw it for the first time i was like wow that's a really unique bass like even someone that doesn't play bass or anything or ever picked one up or anything i can see that and be like that that's a piece of art you know yeah and um do, do you have people usually recognize that when you go play out and about? Can people... Yeah, it's kind of intimidating, man, for a long time. Because basically what happened is when I got that bass, I sold my other bass. So that was the only instrument I had for four and a half oh, years. Yeah. And so like I was playing it from being a novice on that instrument, you know, to, you know, to four years in. Like, and so it was really interesting just because I feel like I would step on stage with this instrument and people would see it and recognize it for what it was and then expect something out of me. Yeah. You know, and that was really hard to swallow. And I still have a hard time swallowing it. The other thing that I, I, I can't is like it sound is so unique that it doesn't necessarily fit in a lot of musical situations, you know. And so that was the other thing is like, OK, now like when is it appropriate to play this thing yeah right and so it's just interesting to to like have those kinds of now that i'm a bit more comfortable with the instrument yeah now it's like how do i be responsible with this instrument yeah you know? yeah definitely it seems like it's like you know like a video game when you come ac across some like legendary weapon <laughs> right. you know and it's like you're up there with your legendary weapon and be like what is he gonna do with that <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> But, uh, so, um, so if people were interested, so say, say somebody's listening right now and they're like, oh, I kind of want something custom made. If they live here in the area, can they still go to that, to, uh, to yeah, him? Yeah, you and... can. I mean, the th I think the thing that you have to realize about David King is like, he's the only person that's going to touch it. Yeah. Literally. He's the only set of hands that are going to touch it. So you're going to, he, and that said, he makes about four to five maybe six instruments a year oh okay it like so yeah you can do it you're gonna wait three to four years to get it done yeah you know just because he you know and that and you're gonna pay for it too yeah because literally he's the only guy i mean it's interesting because like i learned a lot from david 
working with him, you know, there at one point he's like, Chris, I'm not responsible if you get addicted to this craft, you know, like because he like when you start to do the math, he makes like eight dollars an hour. Yeah. But he appreciates what he does. He does, you know, but he's also kind of a slave to it. Yeah. You know, he loves it so much, but he really doesn't, you know, he doesn't turn a ton of pro, you know, he doesn't, he's not rich. No, dude, no. In comparison to what he pours into it. In in comparison to the artwork that this man generates. Yeah. Yeah. He's not wealthy by any means. That's crazy. He's he's rich in his heart. Yeah. And really rich in his mind. He's brilliant. Yeah. I mean,. Gosh, pouring that much time into a single, I mean, it's just, I see the same thing with, you know, ever since I started working with knives and such, it's made me look at custom knife makers and such out there. And it's pretty amazing what somebody will pour into one knife or one axe, one machete that they just want to make really nice, you know, want to make the handles perfect, have all the beveling just so and when you see the price that they asked for, it's like, you're really not making that much money off of what you just poured into that. But it's like, you know, they appreciate the craft. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, that's really cool, though. That's cool that you got a, you know, you got something that's like matches kind of you, you know. It's not like, oh, he's up there with a cheap base or just something he's borrowing. It's like, no, that's, that's almost another band, you know individual up there you know it's pretty cool yeah so at what point were you decided that you wanted a backup base and i know that you had reasoning behind why you wanted to yeah so i I think one i I remember it was really interesting man i went and i played a blues gig with that bass and there was this bass player that came up to me who's very seasoned he's had lots of experience all over the globe and he's like man you brought the wrong bass to the gig and it was just like that, like, first of all, it was the only bass I had at that point. I had made the sacrifice to have that instrument, you know, and then to like be told from an elder that I was screwing up was like, it was a really hard pill to swallow. Yeah. But that that's what I mean about being responsible with the instrument. Yeah. You know, just because I haven't doesn't mean that I necessarily should use it. Um and so there was that lesson and then there was a jared was an artist that i was working with at the time Mm -hmm. and he was like man i really want the p bass sound on my next record and so it's like those two things were like okay i need to have another instrument yeah it's like i need to be able to do my thing on another sound like that is related but different right so i guess really quick this could be a vast question you know vast answer but what are all the different various bases Roughly, I guess. Roughly, okay, so yeah, if we were to kind of put it into, let's see if I can do it in, in maybe four different categories. So um, I'm going to try and do it like chronologically. So the first bass was an upright bass, right? It's like it looks like a massive cello that people would either play with a bow or with their finger, right? Mm-hmm. So those have changed size and shape over the years, but it's an acoustic bass or a double bass or an upright bass. All those terms are describing the same massive cello, essentially. Um, after that was a thing, around the 60s, like the late 50s, early 60s, somebody decided to create an electric bass, right? Mm-hmm. And so basically it's very it's what you see most people play nowadays. It, the body is very thin, it's much shorter, and you wear a strap so that it hangs sideways instead of vertically, oh, okay. right? And so from there, there were kind of like 
you can, a lot of guitar enthusiasts will know the difference between like a Stratocaster and a Telecaster. Mm. They were the two main types of guitars that came out. One has like a much twangier sound and one has like all the bells and whistles on it. So like two, two very different approaches to the same concept. The yeah. bass did the same thing in the sense, the sense that there was the P bass and the jazz bass. Basically the shapes are a little bit different. The electronics are a little bit different. And then, and, and that's the gist of it. They've got different tones. Okay. And then if I were to put that fourth category in, it would be the guys like eventually they tried to rip the, the frets out of the, the base, which is those are all the metal slots that go across the neck. That's yeah. what adjusts your pitch for you, right? A lot. Of, so people started recognizing that there was this big difference between the upright bass that had no frets in it at all and all the electric basses, which did have frets in them. And so they started ripping the frets out of the electric bass, which is how you get the fretless, which is okay. that, that's that first custom instrument that I have has no frets in it. Okay. So, so then, um, so yeah, with all that info, so moving forward onto your second base that yeah. you created. It's, I tried to create basically the polar opposite of what I had, mm. you know, it's like, um, I wanted a base. I mean, basically what I did. So there was this company that's now gone, um, called Carvin. They were out of California um, and what they would do basically is they had like 150 multiple choice questions about an instrument that had yet to, you know, just open-ended questions and you had to fill that out and then they would build that for you. So oh, you got okay. to like design an instrument for, yeah. for, for yourself okay. uh, and then they would build it for you. And so what I did was I realized that the P bass was the type of sound that I wanted. I was like, there were two bass players that I had in mind, James Jamerson, uh, Jamerson, and uh, Pino Palladino. Those two cats kind of like were some of my most influential players when I was thinking about this instrument. So what I did is I started looking at all the stats for those instruments, and I basically mixed and matched until I had a hybrid of those two bases. Oh. And then I just put a lot of intention into the instrument. Like I, I thought that like basically that my fretless is like the sound of like the woods, the trees, it's the forest. I wanted the P bass to be the sound of the ocean. You know, it's like I wanted it to be like relentlessly merciless water, you know, just yeah. this flood of power that yeah. was thick, you know. So I kind of like personified it in my mind, like as I was developing it. And then, you know, it's just like had a number of phone calls with the company down there and they built it for me and sent it to me. Wow. Um, yeah. And I um, and I, re I remember you telling me that you felt like it was important to have some kind of backup because, you know, it would make no sense for a carpenter or something to like, you know, have a tool, have a certain tool that means so much that's like, you know, that's the pinpoint of like his craft and how he accomplishes things. And if that breaks and he doesn't have a backup, how bad that would be. Yeah. I was like, okay, that makes sense that you would have another base just in case, God forbid something happened to the other. Right. Which is, I mean, at the same time, like, as I was learning to be responsible with that instrument, like I started taking it to less and less gigs because I was like, man, somebody walks off with that oh god right that'd be horrible it would be a really scary like I, yeah it would be a really scary moment um yeah. i would feel like i'd failed at something you know because like i feel like i'm responsible for this thing like i'm taking care of it like i'm nurturing it yeah right and so then to like 
have it just taken from me would be devastating and then i'd be out of work for a bit because i'd have to get another instrument in order to work right so yeah you're right it did serve as a backup but it also is a different tool yeah it's a different brush you know as i'm painting like we'll say that the you know the fretless is like this really fine fine brush for detail work and whatnot whereas like the p base is just like a broad stroke it's like a paint roller yeah (laughs) yeah for sure so um so after did did you start start seeing more work various work that you were able to take on because you're like, okay I got this other one that I can do this kind of work with or were you pretty always open minded with the fretless just the fretless I was pretty I, I think that most people were there again I think that more people were open minded to the fretless than than I ended up being okay I feel like now I'm I'm kind of particular about when I use it I'm a little nervous about using it in circuit like I love using it in when I get the opportunity to but it doesn't necessarily sound right on rock and roll it doesn't necessarily sound right in reggae it doesn't necessarily sound right you know and so it's like learning to balance that like here's my voice and my interpretation you know my fretless playing but is that what the music is asking for like I'm trying to serve the music in the sense that I'm trying to to provide what it is that makes this sound the best it could. Yeah. And the fretless isn't always the, the option, you know, that that serves the music. So does, I, I feel like that's what I'm trying to balance. Okay. Do the groups that you're playing with, do they um, usually tell you about like what kind of music they're playing and then you kind of make the decision or do they usually do you tell them like I'm a fretless and you know i usually make the decision oh, okay every once in a while like somebody will ask or i'll mention it you know um if i feel like it's appropriate you know and, and i'll bring it in um but yeah i i usually make that decision have you ever been in the middle of a gig and just like i made <laughs> the wrong decision <laughs> like no no they're similar feel, enough that like you feel pretty competent yeah to, either yeah. way it would work um no, and more often than not, like if it if I'm even like tempted to think that that might happen, I have them both. I'll yeah. just bring them both. That way, okay. it's just like nope. Yeah, <laughs> Let's put this on and feel way better right now. Yeah, yeah. No, so um, I mean, I still think about sometimes that that comment that that guy made about the second base, <laughs> the amp smash. Yeah, I was like, how rude, you know? Oh, dude, the internet is a funny place, man. I wish I still had a picture of that. At one point, I had a picture, like a screenshot of that moment, and I don't have it anymore. <laughs> It was just so priceless. Yeah, I was like, wow, I guess that's what this guy thinks of that. But uh cracks me up because, I don't know, I love the look of it. I, I still, to this day, I love that instrument. Most people I, I play it for. It's unique looking, for sure. It's different. And I guess when you put that one beside the first one you made, uh, there's definitely like one that stands out, that uh, shines. But uh-huh. but they're both cool, and yeah. they both serve a purpose. They're yeah. both important. Yeah. Um, for sure. So, um, I also, I just kind of want to generally talk about your experience and like gigging for all the various different kinds of places, the ways that you've been compensated. I know that sometimes there's been times when they've been, you know, you haven't been compensated the way that you thought. Maybe it was like a bottle of wine or something like that. And I mean, yeah. How's that been? You know? Is Dude, there... uh, well, I mean, like right now I feel really blessed in the sense that like, I feel all of my ensembles have like taken it up to the next level. Yeah. Like in the sense that I don't really want to be gigging any more than I'm gigging right now. I just want, I just want 
the opportunities to get better, yeah. right? I just want to keep moving up the tiers. Um, and, and that's what's happening, man. It's just like, I feel like, yeah, there has been some shysty stuff that has happened in the past, but right now I feel like I'm pretty, pretty well compensated for the time that I put in. Every once in a while, there's something that is like, oh, <laughs> More often than not, things are pretty good, man. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, it's just, it's, it can get tricky when, when traveling, like that's the big thing is because like now you're away from home, you don't have any of your resources that are at your house, right? You're dependent upon what you have on you and what's in your wallet, right? Because like wallet is, that's going to feed you, you know, Mm -hmm. like, because we can't carry a whole lot of food on us. Um, and so, like, then, like, on top of that, when you're out on the road, you got to pay for travel. You know, transit isn't cheap either. And so, like, it can get hairy when you're abroad, man, just because, like, you're, it's not like you get into a tour and you're just paid everything up front, right? Yeah. So, like, you you expend all the money to get over there, which ideally is covered by the artist, you know, they, they'll, thankfully, that's been the case you know, they get you over there and then you kind of get paid as you go. And then, you know, and then like a like and not even like all of it, you may just get like just enough of it. And then like at the end of the tour, when you get back home, you'll get like a lump sum. Oh, so, okay. so like that can be a little stressful just yeah. in the sense that like, OK, I'm not getting paid after every gig. But like so you, you almost have to go into it with a savings so that yeah. you can get through it and then get compensated on the other side of it. Yeah, I I had one friend that was telling me about when he was out um when he was out touring just around the United States here, but he was saying that there's, you know, times when they literally gambled. They had a friend like they'd go in a casino like we really need to like afford to go get to this next gig. Here's 50 bucks. Please go triple it. And you know, the guy would go into the casino, come out. I made 300 bucks. Like, you know, and it's just like, That's it's just crazy. Like that. It's like, you know, it's really the touring. It sounds glamorous. If you think about Aerosmith and like those stones <laughs> and everything. But realistically, if you're, yeah, everyday guy that just really wants a chance and you're going out there and you're just having to go through the grind of like it's grueling man yeah and um can you can you speak about kind of your times abroad you know traveling for music and such yeah man i think that the thing is is um it is it's just like it's grueling yeah you're you're sleeping on transit more often than not because like more often than not you play a gig you get done with the gig you literally pack everything up from the gig you go get on a train and you ride the train to the next gig you get off the train you maybe stop at a hotel change your clothes take a shower maybe a nap and then go play the gig and then you go back to the hotel you're back at two in the morning or so lobby calls at 5 a.m so you get three hours of sleep then you go and you transport to the next gig. And so it's just like already there. We've talked about sleeping on a train and getting three hours of sleep, you know, and it's just like you do that for six weeks, dude. Yeah. So now so let's just like, OK, so now we're talking about like not being quite certain what food you're going to eat. Sometimes you're eating cliff bars. Sometimes you're eating like the most delicious food you've ever had. Right. So it's that full range of f- spectrum of, of food. 
you know, and then sleep, you know, is non-existent, man. It's crazy. Just be, and then on top of that temperaments, right now you've got six people or so that are traveling together and everybody's like not eating quite what they'd like to be eating all the time and not sleeping very well, you know, and being like emotionally unstable because that's kind of the state of being like vulnerable on stage, yeah. you know, is just like expressing all this emotional content on stage. Um, and it's just like, it takes a lot, I, I, it takes a lot of awareness to keep everybody balanced, you know, like everybody has to be very aware of what's going on around them in order to keep everybody happy, you know, so it's, it's grueling because of all of those things, you're, you're physically taxed, you're, you're pushed to your limit, your body is pushed to its limits, you're, you're emotionally pushed to your limits, and socially you're pushed to your limits you go from like being the per like it's such a weird experience man because like i i go to a place and there are people waiting there for me for for, for me yeah you know they they come and they pick me up and they take me someplace and then after that like they're they're waiting for me you know so like like there again, it's like, okay, I, I'm going to go sleep and like groom and all of that. But then I've got people waiting for me. So like, I've constantly got this thing that has to be done. There's like not a whole lot of leisure time, you know? Yeah. And so, um, at the same time, you know, yeah, you talk about the, the breadth of experience, you know, yeah, I, I'm a firm believer in, in the fact that we live in duality in the sense that if I'm going to experience the highs, I have to experience lows that are just as deep, mm -hmm. right? And so what I've noticed about touring is that it is both condensed. It's just very much this, this like very sharp upturn and then very sharp downturn and then just like constant, so constant motion. And what I like about it is like, I feel like, I'm experiencing a, a rich life in the sense that I get a, a, a ton of experience condensed into this short amount of time, you know? And, and so it's like, it's giving me insight musically, socially, globally, like, like I, it, it's beautiful, man. It yeah. is like, I, it's addicting in the sense that like my, you're, it's, in, it's so interesting because your body is aware it's it, it, like my adrenal system is aware of what's happening. My adrenaline is just like pumping until I get home. And somehow my body knows when I get home, when I get into my house after touring, like my immune, like I'll likely get a little sick. You know, it's like my immune system shuts down and like everything goes into recoup mode. I'm slightly depressed. You know, it's just like that, like there's, ap there's this whole like compensating that happens for a couple of days on the other side of tour it's just amazing amazing that my body is like aware and able to like push itself until it's like okay we can relax like time to time to like make sure that we're okay yeah what are some of the various uh places that you've been to uh we did let's see here i think we've done 16 countries in europe um so i mean we've spent a lot of time in the netherlands and england um you you said you were a little bit surprised by like how many how big of a fan base you guys had over there right well what's interesting about it is like we had a bigger fan base in europe than we did in america in your home area that's crazy is um, it they're just and i mean how how is that like how are people assembling upon your music the internet yeah. i mean it's, it's interesting because we didn't do much of anything it got published 
and then DJs in in Europe picked it up and started playing it, and it spread like wildfire. And then all of a sudden, there was like a tour waiting to happen. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so we went over there and demo, you know, promoted the music. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it probably wouldn't have happened if it, not for the internet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, music is treated differently over there, man. I th- I think it's valued quite a bit more. Um, I think that musicians are in general are valued a little bit more over there. Uh, I think they they're recognized as like an integral part of society, and so um, people. I I think they're just a bit more intentional with their listening um and so there again like when when something gets recognized as like desirable they'll compensate a little bit more appropriately for it which i mean it probably wouldn't have been possible without them being a bit more generous because i mean it it takes a lot of money to fly a group of folks over there and back okay Um, but yeah so we spend a lot of time in europe um some of the places that really stood out were like estonia that was really unique sweden Mm -hmm. was really special to me um yeah we spent a fair amount of time in germany montenegro was really special just being like on the baltic sea like oh yeah like i mean we literally like there was a festival on the beach and we were on stage watching like facing the ocean or the the sea while the sun set behind a mountain range you know just like playing that set was just like yeah magic man just yeah. like super comfortable really good food um yeah man that was unique we did uh tokyo uh which that was cool uh we did indonesia we went to jakarta and played a music festival there that was like those two experiences were really unique too because i was a little nervous about tokyo just because i'm a little um a little claustrophobic socially like you put me in a tight group of people and i tend to like get really quiet you know just because Mm -hmm. i i I feel like i have to listen a lot in order to stay comfortable um so i was a little nervous about tokyo but it was so well organized like there was just all this flow happening around me like like it just like the ocd in me was just like yes (laughs) like here we are this is so good right now yeah, it's absolutely beautiful, beautiful city. Yeah. I really liked it. And then Jakarta was the like the exact opposite. Like poverty and chaos like scattered mm. everywhere. Like people living in like boxes. I, I I was on a bus going from the airport. It was interesting because I get off the airplane and all of a sudden I'm a minority, which I'd never really experienced that to that extent before. Like my band was basically the only white folks there. Wow. You know, so like I hadn't experienced that, you know, just like, whoa, you know, and then all of a sudden we get on a bus and we're traveling from the airport to our hotel. And like I see somebody skinning a cat like on the side of the road. Right. It's just like and I I, all of a sudden I realized that like my base is worth, you know, this is my my backup base, not my really nice base. But like the backup base that I have is worth more than these people will likely earn in their lives. You know, and so like now there's this like element of guilt, like it was really heavy, man. Yeah. Just like, and then I get to my hotel, there's an Olympic sized swimming pool, like there's 70 acres of gardens, right? I mean, it's just Jeez. like this huge establishment of like bliss, 
you can't drink the water. They're like, don't drink the water, drink only bottled water. And then you get up to a certain height and you can just see, like, you see your hotel grounds and then outside of your hotel grounds is a shopping mall, like over there, like a good, you know, we'll say a quarter mile away. And the rest of it is just this sea of poverty. Jeez. Just like utter smoke, like just everywhere, you know, and it's just like, that was an eye-opening experience. Like I, I'd never seen... yeah it it made me really grateful for what i have and kind of realize how oblivious i had been you know to the sense that like there's a good portion of the world that is like that you know and and meanwhile i'm concerned about the fact that i want hemp milk and my latte (laughs) not cow's milk please like (laughs) yeah you know it's just like some perspective yeah no that's that's a good point and i mean um i mean i've never seen anything quite that drastic but uh when i went and visited my friend down in uh he's stationed down in el paso and it's right there next to uh right next to the border and it's just kind of like looking over into Juarez across the fence and just seeing how different it is versus the city that you're sitting and driving in and the poverty that's over there. It's like, wow, you know, 200 yards that way. And it is a much different life. Yeah. And yeah, no, it's crazy to think about that. Sometimes when you're, when I'm living here in the Portland area, it's easy to forget that there's some people that would love to just not have to skin a cat, you know, would love to be able to just go to Winco or whatever, just buy a steak or something to go cook. But yeah, I imagine you saw a lot of just kind of eye opening things. Did it kind of change the way that you viewed like music or, you know, how you were kind of going about your life and such? I think that it like, okay. So like music a little bit, it made me grateful to music. Thank you. Because like now I feel like music there, like there again, like music is not just a teacher to me of sound and like emotional content, but it's teaching me about the world, yeah. right? It's teaching me about humans, you know, it's teaching me about our planet, you know? So like, yes, um, but it, it did, it changed my life quite a bit in the sense that it kind of like, it, it shifted me it should like I, I tend to be a pretty passionate person i tend to be a little fiery in the sense that like if i find something that i'm really interested in i tend to like go full bore until i get tired of it and move on to sure. something else right and so like i think seeing some of those things like or or for example going to like parts of finland or you know different parts of scandinavia where they're they're so clean and respectful of their space and like the homeless numbers are so low, you know, it like just the awareness of how like different communities are living it made me a bit more of an advocate for how I want to live my life. It's just like, okay, how can I consume less? You know, how can I pollute less? How can I, you know, it just like it kind of it just made me a bit more sensitive to what's happening globally. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, all right. So, so overall though, pretty good, pretty good experiences touring. Dude, I'm one of the most fortunate people I think you'll, you'll meet. Yeah. (laughs) I feel so lucky to be living the life that I do. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that you said like, like 
after you come back, you know, was, you're definitely kind of tired. It seemed like when I talked to you, it, it seemed like it was a little bit taxing to go do that, but all the pick, you know, it seems like it was a lot of fun too. Oh dude, it is. It's addicting how much fun it is. Yeah. It's like, realistically, it's all I want to do. If I had the opportunity to go full time, I would, Yeah. you know, but I, I feel like there again, I, it's just interesting because there's this odd kind of glamor that goes around it. And I feel like, yeah, there is that there. It is a lot, but you're missing a lot of the, the underlying kind of the undertow to it. The It's just like talking about coming back. It, it is. It's like a culture shock in the sense that now there aren't people waiting for me to take me to the next place. You know, it's like now I do need to think about cooking my own food. Yeah. Now I do, you know, it's just like, and on top of that, it's just like after emoting so much, it's just like, wow, what, what is my purpose right now? What do I, my, like my time was so devoted to a point, to a passion, to like a purpose. And now it's completely reshifted, you mm -hmm. know? And so like reacclimating to my life here on the homeland, it, it, it's a process. It's not like a light switch. It's like, it's more like a, a thermostat in the sense that you kind of have to warm me back up into it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, for sure. It seems like, uh, it seems like it'd be, I don't know, pretty humbling to go from playing gigs where you're going to show up and play and there might be people there that were expecting you and there also might be people there that are like, oh, I was just here to get a beer, but I guess I'll turn and eat my tater tots and listen to this guy. Whereas going overseas and such and touring, people that like, oh man, I'm so excited to be here, you know, like, <clears throat> like I'm just so excited that you know, he's going to show up. He's going to be here. They're going to play. You know, I get to listen to them in person. Is that pretty, is that heavy? Like knowing that you're like going into a gig where people are anticipating you guys coming and playing. I don't know, man. I feel like it's that not that not so much. Yeah. That's not so tricky for me because there again, I feel like my the relationship that's really important to me is my relationship with music. Right. And so like there's like all these kind of like love triangles that are happening in the sense that like there's me and music and then there's the band that kind of helps make the music happen. So there's kind of those different tiers of relationships. And if like I can have a bundle of fun just with me and music, you put me and music and a group of guys making music and that's more fun. And then you put me, a group of folks and music together with an audience of people wanting to listen to music or even not wanting to listen to music and just like noticing that the music and that's more fun. And then, you, I mean, it's just like, it's all different layers of good, yeah. right? I'm just stoked to be playing music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, so I guess now, um, where is music like, at for you with everything today i know you're teaching it i know you are playing it still yeah would i mean i'm sure you're continuing to grow and yeah. all the different you know facets of it but where are things at today um so i the, the big thing right now is uh tours on the horizon man i'm going to china and australia in a week whoa that's um, exciting it is really exciting so what parts of uh china are you going we're going to? to beijing oh wow i'll be there for four days and then we're flying to melbourne australia and playing a residency there for 10 days is this with uh jared, with jared lawson? lawson wow 
That's crazy. So that's just prepping for that, you know, just making sure that every, all my ducks are in a row for that because like, you know, I just have to make sure all my bills are paid and all that kind of, you know, that my space is clean and organized. That way I come home to a clean space. All my students are canceled, you know, like all that kind of mundane stuff. Make sure that that's all organized because I can't do anything about it for two weeks. Like I'm, I'm out like so that's kind of the other thing is like you really have to make sure that your stuff's in order before you go because you can't touch any of it while you're gone you know so yeah just prepping for that man making sure that i've got everything that i want to take with me and like that the music's ready and and yeah i mean like that getting the pet the work visas in in china was ridiculous man oh really oh dude it's a process i I had to i mean there was there was a moment there where we were thinking that we were gonna have to fly to san francisco to the nearest embassy to get fingerprinted you know and so i mean it was it was a process lots of lots of little things that need to be done in order to make the trip happen so how how does that um as far as setting up gigs like that go was it that one venue contacted you guys you're like well to justify it we need to find at least x amount of other venues or were not you... so much i mean this one's a little bit different just because we had the residency in melbourne already lined up and so that was worth it and then the booking agent was like well what do you think about playing blue note in beijing and it's like oh, okay might as well why not hmm. um but a lot of times it's kind of actually the exact opposite in the sense that if, if a tour is booked, it's likely because one gig made the whole thing worthwhile. You know, there was one gig that was able to pay for all the airfare, essentially. Okay. And now now that we've broken even, because there's that one gig that made it worthwhile, now we try to make profit by booking as much as we can around it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that does. That's kind of what I was guessing it was probably like, but yeah. I just wasn't sure if uh if they come to you or if you guys usually go to them some it depends um i feel like products have lifespans um i mean like the record is going to be around forever but it's not going to feel new forever Mm -hmm. right and right now we're at the end of this record feeling new um when a record is brand new and it's getting good press then everybody like there's a lot of people reaching out to you yeah but now that we're kind of at the end of the life cycle of the record, um, like it, it's a lot of us kind of like, would you, would you have us? Would you, you know, like, how would you feel about this? And so like, it, it's just interesting because now I think it's a little bit more of us reaching out rather than like having everybody reach out to us. Yeah. Okay. So as you guys are still, you know, gathering some gigs off of this last record Mm -hmm. have you guys been working on another one or jared so jared has been working on two more records one of them is almost done um it's an instrumental record um and then there's another there's actually three records that are kind of in the works right now um and so i'm I'm not going to talk too much more about that just but yeah there are more things on the horizon for sure so if people wanted to check out like what music you guys have out and available right now where are the best yeah so it's i it's on most of your distributors itunes spotify i think it's on pandora um uh, it's on all of those but you should i mean check out his website it's jaredlawsonmusic.com um and i mean the youtube has a wealth of live footage um we've been fortunate enough to play some of the major jazz festivals on the globe 
Um, and so a lot of those are like national television, you know, so like they'll, they'll record the whole thing and put it on national television. And so like, I don't know, there's probably a good seven to 10 hours of us playing live in footage on, on YouTube. So, um, really cool. I would really encourage you to check out the record, you know, because it's a pretty different representation of the tunes. And what's it called? Uh, it's called Jared Lawson. Okay, Jared Lawson. It's just Lawson. self-titled, yeah. Okay. Um, and so, uh, yeah, check out that record and then check out some of the videos, man. And there's, it's, it's interesting to see how different the tunes feel in a live format in comparison to the studio format. Um, and as far as a musical outlet, is Jared Lawson and, and that group, is that kind of like... Is that kind of your bread and butter for now? Or is there other things that you're like... There are definitely other things. I would say that Jared Lawson is like the most high profile gig that I have right now. Yeah. Um, But I would say that Will Kinky keeps me the busiest. Yeah, He's I've the, seen you guys gigging a lot with that. We, yeah, we do a lot, man. I mean, we just played the Moda Center Sunday. Yeah, what was up with that? I saw your pictures on Facebook and everything. What were you guys cool, doing? Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, the Blazers have like a, a, a fan appreciation day once a oh, year. Oh, okay. Um, and so basically the the trailblazers have i think it's called blazer academy hmm. where they have like a bunch of middle school kids that are like being groomed for basketball um so they had scrimmages happening like that and then like the blazer dancers did their thing and then the blazers actually scrimmaged hmm. um and so we were hired to to kind of be the glue in between some of these different forms of entertainment hmm. you know we we start with like announcements happened we played like three songs then more announcements happened and then like there was the youth scrimmage we played through that and then you know announcements happened and, and then like we would play a couple of songs and the blazers dancers would come out and we'd come do do you know so it's really interesting because we were kind of like the connective tissue between yeah. all the different types of entertainment um but i had never played a stadium like that before and so that was an interesting experience just because like the sound has so much space to, to reverberate in. And so now like you can like change the length of a note depending on how you play oh. it, right? Right. So like if I play a really short note, bump, bump, like I can mute it right afterwards. But in that kind of room, even if I were to play a really short note, it reverberates for like three seconds. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's just this really full sound as it bounces off of everything or like the snare drum for that matter, where it's such a high pitch sound, it remains like articulate throughout all of its bounces. So like if you hit it once, you hear one and then two off of the back and maybe a third coming off of the side. So you get three snare hits for every one that so it's kind of you have to stay on your toes because you have to make sure that you're responding to the sound that's happening right next to you, not the sound that's happening out there. Yeah. Otherwise, you're playing with the wrong drummer, essentially. Yeah. And then the whole thing falls apart. So, but yeah, that was, it was interesting just because the, the level of production, you know, we're driving in and parking under the motor center where all the blazer cars are parked, you know, and so like that was a, a show in itself, just looking at all these vehicles being like, wow, I will never afford any of these. <laughs> 
you know, and then like having somebody there that's interacting with the announcer, kind of like cueing us and giving us a three, two, one going, you know, yeah. so that it, even that was a thing because like we have to count our tunes off in tempo, right? So if mm. a tune is feeling like one, two, three, four, you know, there's the pulse and guys giving you like a three, two, one, <laughs> you know, yeah. and just like kind of like making sure that everything is kind of like seamless. Yeah. It was an experience, man. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds exciting. But so, um, so then I know that another big part of music for you is teaching it. Yeah. And so I just kind of want to ask you about your experience because I know you've you told me about the various individuals that you've taught and you've watched them learn and everything. What's it like teaching music and? It's interesting, man. There again, I try to stay open to the opportunities that present themselves to me. Mm -hmm. um, I've done a little bit of reading about music therapy, but like I would say that some of the more unique experiences that I've had teaching have been like uh, people, special needs kids um, working with like I've had people approach me with children that have like sensory uh, perception disorders where the brain can't interpret the audio signals that are coming through. Okay. Their ears work completely fine, but the brain can't decipher the sound that's coming through their ears, right? And so, like, doctors prescribe music lessons for that, you know, or working with autism or Down syndrome or, you know, like, any, any all of those things are kind of spectrums, right? And so finding, finding where kids are at on that spectrum and being able to work with them and, like, have music be a healthy thing for them... Um, so that's really interesting because like it goes from like being a music educator to now being a music therapist where it's like, I'm not trying to get you to learn 10 different scales in 12 different keys. You know, it's like now it's more about like, oh, can, can you get your hands to do this? Can we play with three fingers instead of two? You know, or like, what does this sound like? Is this happy or sad or just straight rhythms? You know, just like, can you mirror me? Can you try this? You know, like it's really so that's been interesting. Um just been working through like the the abundance of students that I've had, you know, just I has exposed me to a lot of different personality types and how to communicate ideas to different types of people, you know, because I could say things to you in one way and it may work completely fine. But if I take that same ex expression and give it to somebody else, they won't understand. Mm. So I have to be able to reshape and rearticulate a concept so that everybody can understand it. Right. So it's as a result, like I, I feel like it's a blessing to me as a musician because I get to we talked about there again, like having all these different perspectives to look at problem solving from different angles. Yeah. Right. And so there again, I'm getting to teach music, but I'm getting to like I'm being challenged to look at it from all these different perspectives. Yeah. Right. So it's helped me as a musician plenty too. Mm -hmm. you know, it's really rewarding in that way. So some of your students the important part of it is the product versus other ones where the process is really important. Yeah, totally. Huh? Totally. Or just the joy of it. Yeah. You know, or just like, because like you know, a lot of times in, I have a kid that is like a nonverbal autistic child. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of his life is him having to do something at a level enough to, to survive, mm -hmm. you know, and his time with me is more about like, let's play yeah let's just make some noise yeah you know and so like him being able to relax and spend time with uh you know a, another male that is just like the two of us exchanging time together rather than like okay we, we need you to get 
to this location. We need you to eat now. We need, you know, like, so I don't know. I mean, like, I, I feel like I can't properly articulate what his daily life is like. Yeah. But I, I know that my time with him is like a breath of fresh air yeah. in it, you know, which sounds, is. Sounds stressful. Like everything else sounds like it's kind of stressful. Like he has to, he can't go through it with, he, it seems like he's got to be mindful of like everything. Like everything is kind of a task. Yeah. Whereas like for you, it's just fun. Yeah. It's just relaxing. Yeah. Huh. so is yeah it's it's interesting to, to you know music is different for everybody what music can give to each individual is different yeah. you know and so as an instructor or a coach i like to think of it as a coach you know um i i'm like it, it's different for you know my, my service is different for each person mm-hmm do you um so do you have like a set amount of like these are the these are the uh instruments that i you know teach yeah um i teach right now i have students on piano guitar bass drums hand percussion and voice oh okay so you do singing stuff too Mm -hmm. huh that's really cool are you still i mean i'm not sure when i'll get this uploaded but i mean um you know, in a few months or so, would you kind of expect that you'd still be taking on students and such? Potentially. Or um, so I'm actually experiencing a pretty big shift. Um, so after tour, after I come back late October, I'm going to be teaching strictly at an academy in Hood River. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll likely do one-offs here and there, maybe something on Fridays, but like... I. I'm probably going to be booked pretty much full time at that point teaching. Okay. Um, it's been a neat experience just because the school was funded via crowdfunding hmm. and uh, it was kind of built from the ground up. You know, they basically took an old fruit processing warehouse in Hood River and turned it into a music academy. Wow. Um, and it's grown to the point that they're merging with, I think, two other schools. There's a Montessori school in Washington that's merging its music program in with our academy. And then there's another music academy, or another academy, private, like, middle school called Wildwood that is merging its music academy, or its music program with our academy as well. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be a, a pretty big change. And, uh, they yeah, they asked me to come on full-time and kind of head up the music education program. Um, so... Yeah, I'm going to be going out. I'm going to be spending a lot of time in Hood River teaching out there. Wow. Um, which is kind of bittersweet because I've had, I mean, some of my students in Malala I've had for like four years. And so now I'm having to like kind of close that chapter. Yeah. But the opportunity, like the way I'm, I'm trying to like have some foresight in the sense that like if, if this program grows really well or even if it just grows moderately well, Five years from now, I likely won't have to be teaching as much because I'll have trained a bunch of people to teach for me, mm-hmm. um, which that's appealing to me because then I could like ultimately I want to be an entertainer and a recording artist. I like I, ultimately I want to be an artist. Mm-hmm. Right now, like I right now I'm an educator and an entertainer, yeah. and like artistry is kind of my hobby. 
you know, I don't have the time to like just create the music that I want to create. A lot of my time is spent helping other people create the music that they want to create, mm-hmm. you know. So if I can get to the point where I'm doing less entertaining and or maybe just pickier about my entertaining and less educating so that I could put more time into my art, like that's ideal. And so I feel like the, the academy is kind of like if I, if I think about it in the long term, it'll help me with that. So that's that's part of the why I'm making the move out there, um, yeah. All right. Um, if if people were uh, interested though in kind of gaining like a little bit of knowledge or something, is that something you feel like comfortable with? If somebody's like, hey, I, I like, where could you do you know any like people that say say some somebody wanted to learn a specific like you know I want to learn how to play the Spanish guitar or something like that, like would you feel like comfortable at least referring them to like well this is where you should maybe go yeah to. i mean i would i would be comfortable being connective tissue or like a lubricant you know helping people get to where they need to be um i mean realistically i'm 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 just excited to talk to people about music so yeah they should definitely reach out to me all right what's the best way for people to contact you if they do want to know yeah, more about so uh i i think my email i'll i'll post my email you'll probably have a way to be able to post some text um, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you my email address. Um, my website is CJF as in Christopher James Friesen, cjfmusic.com. Okay. Um, and so there, I mean, it's just like, it's got a contact for me. It's got my calendar published. There's some content on there that people can peruse through, um, a link to most of the ensembles I'm playing with now okay. and po- ensembles in the past. So there's a, a fairly broad, uh, spectrum there cool yeah that's awesome man um well yeah i mean we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap it up but i guess uh i like to think of these as kind of like kind of a bookmark in somebody's life kind of like a checkpoint yeah so if you were to kind of like i don't know speak to somebody that may be listening you know years down the road or you know whatever it is trying to gain insight from where you're at right now in life how you're feeling about things where things are headed yeah i mean how can you express kind of where you're at right now what you're thinking for your future what you've learned in the past i mean yeah i feel like uh this is like chapter four like (laughs) you know it's just like it's the turning of a page into like professional like not from like I feel for a long time I was kind of like amateur in the sense that I spent a lot of my time doing it but I wasn't like becoming known for it and like it's getting to the point now where people are just starting to to recognize me from different places for what I do so Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the like I said it's like chapter four professionalism you know yeah yeah, so you're feeling pretty pretty hopeful, feeling pretty good about it. Oh, what's... I'm feeling really good, man. I feel like I said, I feel really fortunate to be where I'm at. I feel like I like I'm exceeding my trajectory. You know, that like I had shot for this, but I'm actually I'm I'm going higher. I need to like reassess my goals, you know, or so that I can make the most of, of what's being granted to me. That's awesome. I'm proud of you, Freezy. Like I feel like Thanks, man. it's been interesting to see you from like, you know, because when I met you, you were primarily practicing with the Wishermen and such mm-hmm. a lot. I know you were still working with Jared Lawson and stuff too, but it was interesting to like when, you know, certain bands that you're playing with disbanded and seeing the stress that you're feeling because of it, like unsure of what you were going to do to transitioning to, you know, new facets, learning, you know, new other 
other bands and their ways and such. It's been really cool to see where you've been able to come from, you know, however many years ago that was. I mean, shoot, that was probably like, what, five years ago, six years ago, something like that? Yeah, four or five, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what five years can do for somebody is pretty crazy. And I mean, think about everything you've experienced through following music in the past five years. Yeah. It's crazy. It's pretty wild, man. You know? I mean, you've gone from, I mean, would you have imagined you were going to see the things that you saw in Europe and, you know, and what's to come in Asia and in Australia? No, man, it's all been like a very pleasant surprise. Yeah. (laughs) So somebody's out there right now and they're listening, thinking like, you know, I don't know if I should keep on doing you know carrying this i'm not seeing i'm not seeing results i'm not making money should i keep pouring time and investment into this thing i care about like what would you say to a person like that follow your heart and i think that like it doesn't even have to be music man i mean if it's if it's if it's making jewelry and that's what makes you feel like money comes and goes man even like even if you make a ton of money it can go pretty quickly even outside like all it takes is like three months of bad luck and you can be homeless, right? It doesn't take a whole lot. Life is pretty fragile, yeah. you know? So like the most valuable resource you have is your time, right? And so I think that if, if spending your time making you happy is feasible, do that. And, and just stay open. I think that the thing is like be a servant to it, you know? Like if, if, if be a servant to your happiness, yeah. Because that'll make the most, that'll, that'll make the most rewarding path. Yeah, those are, those are good words. I feel like that's, that's a good, that's a good way to kind of, I mean, I feel like you can really attest to that because I, I've watched you live that. Like you've never been like so closed and so negative about what's to come. You just kind of rolled with the waves no matter her you know i felt like you're just kind of like out there in your little dinghy with your bass like feeling it and sometimes those waves are a little bit scary you're like hey you know like we're okay we're gonna be all right <laughs> but um yeah man i really appreciate your time and your words and you know in the future let we should do this again i would love to you can check in or we can even just talk about like one little thing we can talk about your tour in australia and, and yeah. you know in china and That'd such but I appreciate it, man. Thanks for yeah, talking. Thanks, Kyle. Love you, man. Love you, too. All right, that was my episode with Chris Friesen. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you want to tell your friends and family about the show. Uh, they can listen to it on SoundCloud, the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and the TuneIn app will be coming soon. If you want to follow the show on Instagram, you can find it at no particular podcast. There I usually make a posting of when a new episode comes up and gives a description of the episode. So if you have any ideas or things you want me to change or um, any comments, send me an email at no particular podcast at gmail.com. I hope you guys check out the next episode. Thank you for listening.